welcome everyone to the Meister Movie Podcast with friends. Insert tasteless joke here. On this episode, rest in peace, Sean Connery. Lashana Lynch is your new Bond. And with great power comes great responsibility, both of which neither of us have. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. Can't say I'm doing bad. In your tree right now, it's a very nice weather we're having. I hear it's going to rain terribly, and I'm going to pay for it. Also, Sean Connery is dead. Rest in oh, peace, Dr. I, Jones. Did, I, did anything else happen? Um, besides... Okay, well, re- also rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Uh, oh my god, Alex Trebek died? Yes. Oh my god, when did that happen? This morning. What? This morning, yes. Oh, the cancer got him. Oh. Oh, that's so sad. One Alex down. I that means all other Alexes gain his energy, but um, and there can be only one, of course. Okay. But for now, I feel bad. Not for that joke, but I feel bad. So uh, hold on, I gotta find a safe place to pour one out. Pour two out. Is that good? That's, Is that anything that's, important? Uh, Anything, anything else happened within the last couple days? Anything? anything uh, Lashana Lynch is the new James Bond. Ja- wait. New Bond. Wait a second. No, 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 no. She's not. Wait, you're talking about the woman who's in the new Bond movie? Yes. It came out she's that not, she is now Bond. She's not Bond. She's 007. She's 007. But yeah. the headlines are saying so she, is confer- she confirmed that she is the new Bond. She's, I mean, will she carry on the new movies? Sure, why not? If they want to stay in that world, I have no problem with that. If that's what she's saying, cool. But she's the new 007, and they've been saying that for quite some time. Because Bond is is in that movie. Literally, James Bond is in that movie. If if she's the new 007, then uh, make make new movies of her and then take a while to make... I don't care if there's new Bond movies or not, regardless. Like, I just want Daniel Craig to end his series well, and if they want to make more movies with her, please do. Like, she, if she's awesome, she's awesome. Great, awesome. Um, especially if Fukunaga's uh, directing too, or if, you know, it's got that same kind of caliber of script. I know nothing about the new one. I just, like, I like this series. But she is the new 007, but I don't she know is- if she's going to get her new movies. Um, so, yeah. It looks like it's confirmed that she is the new 007. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I have not seen the reactions to this, so I can only... I can only guess what it is. So they they actually announced that quite some time ago when they were gearing up. I think it leaked. Well, no, no, no. This This is something that came out... A long time ago, regardless of whether it leaked or not, it came out like well, a lot closer to the release date, and they were handling it then. But people knew then. She even said it in the trailer. I'm the new 007. I'm the new 00. Like, she says it in it. But there's three questions. Is she the new 007? Yes. Is she the new Bond? Like, is she playing James, like, Jar- like uh, Janice Bond or something? No. Janice Bond! <laughs> I don't know what a James would be. Um, and Jane. Is, she, is she getting her own Jane Bond? Is very good. There you go. Um, you should write it. Uh, and then is she getting her own movie series with the character that she plays in um, No Time to Die? 
And that I don't know. But we've known that she's the new 007 for a while. If this is just people looking for news, then sure. Because this movie's still not going to come out for quite some time. Yeah, it's another whole year. Um, yeah, so there, there you go, guys. Um, uh, rest in, I guess rest in peace, Sean Connery. That sucks. Died in his sleep. I only know him from The Rock and Last Crusade. So, Alex, maybe you could speak more on his career. I haven't seen him as Bond. So, well, those are two. Those are two really good movies. Um, he was the definition of Bond, and with all the good things and all the bad things that is Bond were defined by him. Uh, Doctor No is an okay movie. From Russia with Love is an excellent movie. Goldfinger is very good. It's the definitive Bond for most people, and he's a star by then. Uh, and then the rest are like varying from that caliber. And he come he came back again in the eighties. Since then, though, he created his own career with like a bunch of other stuff. There was the man who would be king, um, uh, medicine man. Uh, he would go on to do interesting stuff in the nineties. Sure. Um, there was Dragonheart with Dennis Quaid. Um, there was First Night with Richard Gere. The Rock, of course. I most people feel The Rock was the last truly great Sean Connery movie. I have a very personal, strong reverence for um, Finding Forrester. I know a lot of people think that movie is super cheesy, and it is in a lot of ways. I'm not saying it isn't, but he is still very good. Rob Brown is excellent. I think it's a very it, it captures all the mood all the mood that you would want in a Gus Van Sant movie, like. Uh, it, it's just the music is really good. Miles Davis has what my favorite song in the world. Carfro's theme is in that movie. I love that New York in that movie. I want Sean Connery's apartment in that movie. That that is my nostalgia, Sean Connery. And then The Rock was a big part of my life too. Like the oh god, the like I the Scottish music that plays his relationship with his daughter. I watched that recently with my sister, and it still holds up. It's the last great true. Truly great Sean Connery movie. He would make some crap at the end, like, you can't ignore the Avengers. That's a really bad movie, and he does some crazy stuff in it, including in, including run an entire evil meeting in a bear suit, like a furry. Uh, <laughs> it's an insane movie. There's a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is, was the thing that convinced him that he was done acting in a terrible experience with that director, and um, it's not a good movie. He is, it sucks because I think he could have had a, a few more action films in him. That would have been fun. I think he could have done something like Robert Redford did with Winter Soldier, and I think he could have played a better villain in a better movie. I think those two movies hit him hard. And then he did an animated movie that's of the caliber of like Food Fight, where it was just poorly made, didn't have a lot of budget to it. It was called Bob something or other. Um, and it's a, like an, a very poorly made computer CGI film. And it was the last thing he ever did, really. And it sucks. But um, however you feel about him, including the interview with Barbara Walters, where he uh, doubles down on his defense of slapping a woman, if need be, uh, he is of the era, and he was James Bond. But there are so many stories of women who worked with him on set, because there's a lot of women in Bond's movies, that said he was a perfect gentleman on set 
and that he was all right. But I think in, in his real life, he probably thought that he could get away with a lot of things, but sort of a, a lot of movie stars. But Sean Connery was a fucking movie star, man. He was. Like, he had charisma. He had charm. Ooh, and Chapman's another one, too. If you, like, he still has the ability to woo Catherine Zeta-Jones in that pretty boring movie. Um, yeah, he had a, he had an okay run in the 90s, but The Rock and Finding Forrester, I think, are the two things he'll probably be remembered for the most in the late 90s. And then he, had, he didn't have the most uh, gracious entrance, uh, exit out, but... He was. He had a few years after that, after he retired, uh, like probably about over a decade, maybe fifteen years plus, where um, he had with his family and just uh, got to enjoy his life. So, uh, yeah, but he was a star, man. I can't. I know we're gonna do uh, Daniel Craig's Bond, and I know we haven't discussed what we would want to do after that. And I know you want to do Brosnan, but it, it, it Bond is so interesting. It's so crazy. Like there's. There are three Bond movies that we can never do on the series wheel. We would have to do them separately because one Bond only did one movie, which many consider nowadays to be the best Bond movie of all time. And then um, one Bond only did two movies, which I genuinely enjoy, including one with Benicio Del Toro as a henchman. Uh, so we'd have to do those ones as separate pieces. Whereas um, Roger Moore is the most fun and goofy. Brosnan is the most um, eclectic, I think. Uh, Sean Connery is perfect. He is Bond. They're of the time in 60s movies, and they defined a lot of things. So I think for you, it may be really like dated and weird. Roger Moore may be your better warehouse. Uh, and then Brosnan, I don't know. Brosnan's going to be interesting for me. I think you might get tired by the end of his. We'll see. Um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, that's it. And then, yeah. Daniel Craig will be starting with yeah, I hear I hear um so I just you know I really hate it when I forget that my micros my microphone is muted. So anyway, I was trying to I say holy shit. Nice. <laughs> Why what I was wait? trying to say is I wait. hear Die Another Day is like a meme worthy like movie. Die I don't think like I think I'll be tired and then we'll get to Die Another Day and I'll be like, what the hell? <laughs> Um, okay, so quick run of my thoughts on those movies. GoldenEye is perfect. GoldenEye is perfect. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies is a solid Bond movie. Um, the World is Not Enough is better than people remember, but it does have problems. Like, I think the villain uh, spoilers villains a little bit uh, are interesting. But I think it sort of craps the bed at the end. Die Another Day has great things going for it. Like, I think Halle Berry is beautiful and great in the movie. I think it's Brosnan's best performance, most confident. And um, there is an excellent, unbelievably cheesy, over-the-top sword fight in the middle of it for no goddamn reason. And it's one of my favorite moments in all of the Brosnan films. Because at the very end, the villain just sort of laughs it off like they just sort of had a little bit of a scuffle in the hallway. And it's like, you fucking, you guys could have died at any moment in this entire fight. It was fucking merciless. You destroyed many things. Like, you guys, you guys have problems. And he's like, ah, and it's like, it's the best. Um, and then <laughs> the ending's really weird, but it reminds me a lot of the end of Fast 8. Um, so... 
there are things about it that I think are all over the board that are good and bad for what it's worth. But um, the the thing that I focused on when I revisited them recently is like, World and the Tomorrow Never Dies always seemed boring to me, and I always forgot about it. Watching again, it's just your basic Bond movie. The world is not enough, and Die Another Day, I think, are the ones that people. I think the world is not enough made a lot of money, but those are the ones that I have a little problem with uh, deciphering which one I like better. I think I like the the oh the just crazy. Well, the ending of Die No, the ending of Die Another Day is pretty stupid. The ending of Die Another Day is pretty stupid. It's it's crazy. It's really insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a guy in a bio suit and it's all going it's all happening with a plane. Like at least like World Design Enough has the worst ending line of all of them, but the the overall boss fights at the end of Die Another Day are just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. There I poor I, Again, I think Roger Moore you're gonna love. I uh, I poured one out for Sean Connery. So, rest in peace, old man. Um, I've only I have water with three somewhere, but um, I have a bottle of. I did. I that's all. I'm gonna do the hundred percent pure olive oil because he was Irish. No Scottish. No. <laughs> Scottish. Uh, Welcome yeah, to I'm, the rock. Ever, nostalgically, everyone search out Finding Forrester if you're in, if it since now fall falls the best time to watch that movie. It's an incredible fall movie. Like after a long day, it's gonna be raining outside soon. It's wet everywhere. Like it's such a good fall movie. Um, and The Rock. Everyone see The Rock. Medicine Man's very good. The Man Who Will Be King is very good. Uh, Dragonheart has its moments if you're into fantasy. Um, I think he plays a good King Arthur in First Night. Uh, and then there's a lot of other stuff that he did in the 70s that I'm... Oh, my God, Zardoz. Zardoz! 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 Zardoz. Chris, have you ever <laughs> heard of Zardoz? It's, it sounds familiar. Oh, okay. Um, there was a director named John Borman. He's made some beautiful movies, but he's also insane um, in terms of what he puts on film. <laughs> There's a movie called Zardoz, Chris. I can't explain it. It's it's a bad movie for sure. It's it's it is epically bad. It is, uh, it's fucked up, is what it is. <laughs> and you, it's the craziest thing Sean Connery's ever done. He never wants to be asked about it. He walks around the movie for the bulk of it in a red diaper, pretty much. That's it. He doesn't speak okay. English. It's in say i could show you images or just look up images from on google don't look up a trailer just look up images of zardoz and it, it still won't even come close to the experience of that freaking movie uh it's the craziest thing sean connery's ever done so like people talk about <laughs> like it nice The yes. revolver, the mustache, the boots, everything about this. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. You're going to love it. You are going to love it. It's horrible. It is There's a giant floating it. head. It's, a oh, giant yeah. floating stone head. Yep. He's awesome. got braided hair. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Okay. 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 All right. All right. All right. That's going on the backlog. I'm sorry. That's going straight to the backlog. I'm oh, not I even going to waste any time. I'm not wasting any time. It's going on the backlog. You can't stop me. No, I knew the moment I said. That's why I said it several times. I was like, I can't believe I've never talked about this with you. And the death of Sean Connery is the reason I brought it up, which is terribly sad. They've done this on how did this get made. Other people have talked about it. It's it's bonkers, man. It's art. It's seventies tripped out hippie remnant art. It's um, all over the place. I can't explain the plot because I honestly don't remember, but I remember plenty of moments. Um, a lot of rape. Yeah. Uh, so get ready. <laughs> this movie's insane. It's a good time if you're ready for like just batshit insanity. Yeah. Zardoz. Fucked up. Okay. All right. That, I needed that. That was pretty great. This is this this is this is fantastic. Yep. Like. Okay. Total, total backlog. He went from Bond to, Zar, to Zardoz. Okay. Yeah, All it's right. a pretty it's a pretty aggressive shake. Luckily, the man who will be king was a little bit after that, and this is a great movie. People are like, oh yeah, he's Sorry. great. Like, Zardoz is fun. Okay. Crazy. Um. Uh, I do not think there's anything else. Um. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And Zach's and Zach's game's coming out on Friday. Go buy it. I guess. Um. Zach's coming out Friday. He mentioned he he wanted me to ask something, but um, let me ask you. How how did you like the Mandalorian? You probably watched that. Oh my god. You need to get on this. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay. dude, get on board. <laughs> okay. I was like, uh, I was like, it didn't, did he not like it? No, it's that I do. Yeah, like, everyone said. Dude, now is the time. You should get on board. I, eh. Like, eh. <laughs> I was watching more Rise of Skywalker stuff and I was like, God. And like, and it wasn't just hammering down the movie. It just, I kept thinking in my head, like, because somebody asked me, somebody else asked me, why haven't you watched The Mandalorian yet? And I just kind of knee-jerk reaction. I'm like, honestly, like, honestly, I was promised a future past Rise of Skywalker, and we, like, there isn't one. There's no plan. There's no nothing. And I want to go forward. Like, I don't, I, I think Star Wars is a big enough universe that they should have been making The Mandalorian back in, like, the year 2000. They should have been making this shit back when the prequels were happening. George had everything he needed to make this world bigger and tell other stories, and he didn't, and it sucks that he, like, I, I think the prequels have good thematics, and I think they're fine, but, like, and they did, like, open up the world for more things and, like, Clone Wars and stuff like that, sure. But, like, I want to go forward, man. I was promised mm -hmm. to go forward. I was promised more movies. Like, the Obi-Wan and Mandalorian show, those were supposed to fill in gaps for, like, other stuff. But that's because we were going to get new things. Like, Zach and I were joking about the new holiday special that's coming out on Disney Plus here soon. And it's, like, he looked it up and it's, like, it's canon. It's after Rise of Skywalker. And I'm, like, that's the newest thing we're getting after Rise of Skywalker, that's forward thinking. I was like, damn, that sucks, man. And like the other element is, there's like what, sixteen episodes of the sh of Mandalorian, right? Ten. No, 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 not of the season. I mean, altogether. 
No, not yeah, altogether. Right as of right now, it's ten. Two seasons worth of television. It's only ten episodes. First season is eight, and then they've only released two two episodes of season two. So there's going to be eighteen altogether. Approximately. So there's only ten episodes out right now. There's only ten yeah. total episodes between two seasons right now. Dude, I'm just going to fucking wait. Like, I'm just going to wait. This is the only new Star Wars we're going to get in a long time. I could slaughter through ten episodes of television in no time. No time, man. I am in no rush. Like, I want to move ahead in this world. That's the thing that's going to make me jump on Star Wars right away as a fan. But as of right now, if you're just going to make more content from, like, stuff that happened before Rise of, like, Force Awakens, then, like, okay, I'll get to it eventually. It's like Clone Wars. Like, thanks for the back catalog of, like, of research stuff I have to go through. But, like, I was promised a future. I was promised Broom Boy, and I want that shit. Like, not Broom Boy individually, but, like, a world where, like, that was outside of the saga stuff. I wanted more. I wanted a future. I wanted Ray, Finn, Poe. I wanted that stuff. I was excited for it. And it's not here, and it sucks. We're going back. And I don't, I'm just not interested right now. I have so much stuff to watch, so much more stuff I'm interested in. By the way, I went back to one of my favorite shows. (laughs) 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 There's a show that I love. It's called, well, no, my favorite writer is Aaron Sorkin. And and my favorite show from him is Sports Night. And I, uh, moving in with my brother, um, I was like, that's my favorite show. And he's like, let's watch it. I'm like, why? He's like, because it's about sports a little bit. And he loves sports. And he loved it. He gobbled it up. And I was watching it some more. And I was like, yeah, I think you, maybe you'd like the West Wing because he wrote that too. He's like, I don't want to watch the West Wing. And I'm like, well, he wrote this other one where he did an SNL type sketch show. And that was what he wrote the behind the scenes of. And it was called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And I started watching that again, and I watched the whole thing. And I was like, this was better than I thought it was. And, like, this should have kept going. And I see where the problems are. And then I looked it up. There was something called the George Lucas Talk Show. Chris, have you heard of this? Oh, no. I, I, I don't think I have. It's a, it is comedians from, from the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. Two guys. One plays George Lucas. And one plays Watto, and he dresses up in like cheaply put up Watto, and then George Lucas has like glasses, and they spray he sprays paints his hair and a beard, and they play them. They don't make fun of them, but they play them. And what they do is they have a Twitch stream live stream show. They've been doing these characters for quite some time on the stage. They've made it a live stream show, and they use the live stream to run marathons of TV shows and movies and properties to earn money for charities. So since quarantine, they've been running marathons for Broadway stars and Broadway uh, people who can't be who can't work right now. So they did an entire marathon, live stream marathon of all 18 hours of Studio 60 all the way through. As they did that, they were constantly bringing writers and actors and producers from the show, from all like every aspect. Every aspect, all were calling in and talking about this. It was insane. It was crazy. But um, they seem to real. They aren't. Uh, they don't hate George Lucas. They aren't. Sh- they aren't shitting on the property. They genuinely love it. And in the background, it is just littered Star Wars stuff behind all of them. They really love the property. So I would look into it. It's a really fun show. It's like what we do on the Buttercast, but they have been doing it recently to earn money. So, like, I think the longest one they did was 31 hours of a show called Arliss, I think. 
maybe that was the longest one, but I have seen our okay. They did Muppets tonight. They're gonna do other things, but like it was interesting, man. I really loved it. But yes, I like even I can go back in time and watch my stuff nostalgically. Nostalgia is a part of my aspect with the Spider-Man stuff here, but like you promised me a future with Star Wars. You promised me a future with these characters, and you gave me nothing. So that's why I'm not. I know the Mandalorian is great, but I've been wondering why they never made a bounty hunter in Star Wars space show for decades. Ever since the prequels, I was like, they well, had prequels, but why haven't they? They had it scripts. Be, they had happen. scripts for a show. Exactly. They never did it. They never did it, and they waited till now. And it's the best thing we have in Star Wars right now because Clone Wars is over, and it's like, uh, it's not enough. You not the best, it. the only thing. Yes, especially the only thing. So yeah, I like, I if, but it's not even that. It's it, it's only ten episodes. Like I gobbled up Studio 60's twenty-one episodes in four days. Like I can take my time. If it's about being the conver- being in the conversation of the Mandalorian. Everything that's been spoiled for me about The Mandalorian has been stuff that I assumed from day one about it anyway. And all the other small stuff, whatever. But nobody's spoiled like – I've never gone into in-depth reviews about how the movie – how the episodes go or how they look. I've, I've avoided as much scenes as possible. I barely know any of the scenes. But I know how the season goes pretty much. He finds the baby. He decides he's going to keep the baby and he's going to, you know, save the baby. And then whatever happens in season two, everyone's finding out now. So, like, I'm not late to the party in terms of what the story is. And in terms of the universe, it's nothing new. And, like, I know what happens. Force Awakens happens after that shit, so I don't care. Like, you promised me a future. I want a future. It would be like if I was dating a boyfriend and he's like, I'm going to take you to Hawaii, baby. I'm going to take you to Hawaii. We're going to go there and it's going to be great. And then the day we're about to go to Hawaii, he's like, hey, you want? You remember that time we went to that mini golf course? Let's go back there. And I'm like, yeah, I love mini golf. We, I've been wanting to play mini golf for a long time, but you promised Hawaii, you son of a bitch. Yeah, it's a man in this story that I'm dating. So what? <laughs> yeah, but that, I <laughs> Yeah, my heart was broken too. Like, it's so it's honestly it, that's the thing. It's mostly those two reasons. Like, there's only ten episodes. I I could gobble that stuff up really quickly. I've had a lot going on in my life, and I could watch it quickly. But like, my only no rush is because I it it's I already know what happens in this universe ahead of time. No, you're not going to give me anything new that's going to tell me anything new about those movies. Like, you're just not. And those movies shit the bed anyway. They don't mean anything. Like, they're fun to watch, but they don't do anything in terms of expanding the universe. And the people you had there to do that, you you failed them. You failed those characters. And now you have no plans. I am excited for nothing that you have offered me now. So, Okay, so here's a hot take that was trending in the, in the fandom. So, Christian Harloff from uh, Schmoes No, he said, he made the bold take of, this is the future of Star Wars, maybe they should stop making movies, because they're too crammed. And I'm like, no? No? No. Well, here's the thing. I would actually change that. Movies are probably going to die soon. Movies are probably going to die soon. And I'm fine with that 
it's going to be TV shows, miniseries, pretty much, elongated storytelling, and video games. That's where the that's where the most immersive storytelling is going to be in the future. Like, it's done. Like the format of television that like was basically golden age in the fifties and sixties and seventies, and then got kind of like homogenized in the eighties, and then it died off by the mid two thousands. Like. That sitcom format, like multi-camera stuff, isn't a thing anymore. People don't really want that. And when they do, it's nostalgically and it's quiche. And it's like you better have a reason for doing it. One of the worst examples I hate to give, but best examples of that idea is Lucky Louie, like the the Louis C.K. show on HBO in the early 2000s before he went on and made Louie. was a multi-camera show. It was adult. He said, like, we're like, cunt, like, date. They went for it with that show, but like they wanted to do an all in the family type thing. And I, 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 that sort of aspect, even then, was considered nostalgic and quiche and dying, kitsch and dying. And quiche is food. Uh, <laughs> 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 I think it's the same thing. With Welcome, everybody, to the Maestro uh, Edible Arrangement Podcast. It's like Today I, we're I, talking about quiche. This movie is super quiche. You can eat it in for, for breakfast. Um, so I, you've heard me make the point before when people say I can't sit through a slow three-hour long movie. I can't. Why are superhero movies three-hour longs? I don't. I don't like. I don't get it. And it's like you sit at home and you watch hours and hours of Rick and Morty and um, and and reality TV and you watch hours and binge hours of shows in your own home. And you do it consistently, and they're like, "Yeah, but the storytelling matches that format." And it's like, "No, it's it's you. Your brain has been set a certain way. So maybe they do have somewhat of an argument. And like episodic television is like a small. You can stop whenever you want, but like you can do that with movies. You can pause movies at certain points. You can follow them at certain like story arcs. And pa- I pause movies all the time, even though you're not supposed to. The moment we were all capable of doing it with home video, shit changed." And it was always going to be changing. And so now I'm, I'm especially now that co- that COVID has really slammed movies and like accelerated their death faster. People will want to go see movies again and movie theaters again. And in the meantime, cheap, easy home movies are going to happen. But like in the future, the most immersive storytelling, it's going to be like Mandalorian style, eight, 10 episode type stories or it's going to be video games. I watched the, the new craft recently. Uh, and that story within that tell within that movie would have fit way better if they had made it a season of television. It's the first time a long time I watched the movie. And I was like, all of these story beats would have worked a lot better if you flushed each one out in about two, three episodes and spread it out in maybe 10 episodes. I was like, this would have been a great show. This would have been excellent storytelling. And maybe that was the point. The original writer may have been working in TV for a long time. I don't know. But it, it can work either way, but in terms of the future, like I'm just sort of accepting the fact that movies are dying soon. But like I enjoy movies of all air, and I certainly enjoy visual storytelling in general. And that's not married to just movies. Like by the time Sopranos came around, cinematic storytelling was on television forever, and so you just, just got to be open to adaptation. Yeah, I was like, it was basically because like because he said like the movies were crammed. I'm like, whose fault is that? Whose fault was that? Uh, I don't really. I mean, 
I don't one? think those movies ever got a fair shake. Like which one? It, it, like the sequels. I think that's what he was talking about when he said that they were crammed. I'm just like, well, first off, there was no plan. Second, you decided to start this with J.J. Abrams. And third, you decided to end it with J.J. Abrams. You just you just said the same thing three times, which there was no plan. Like, the plan was to have no plan. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the problem was that they shouldn't have been movies, and I don't think the problem is that they should make more movies. I think if movies are going to die in general, but they're going to make it, they should continue to make Star Wars movies as long as movies are getting made. But you don't have to make big, expansive ones. Like, Solo could have been small. Rogue One is, like... We've all seen what you can do with this universe and with different storytelling. So I want them to continue to make more. As for the sequels, they should have been movies. And, yes, they should have had a plan. Or, at the very least, they should have been okay with the plan that they had and not backtracked. And that is exactly what they did. So, like, disdainfully. So, like, jadedly. Just, like, there's this stink of spike to it and it ruins everything but most importantly most importantly of all in a world where like everything has sequels and everything has a future ahead of it it has no future and it just is so obvious it's so apparent it's so apparent of like we are staying here we are not leaving this is what we are and we are not going forward it's so uh, it's so old man yelling from the lawn it's, it's fucking crazy <laughs> it's fucking crazy I don't get it. It's so like the, like the neighborhood is on fire. The like there's a fire raging in California. Our neighborhood's gonna burn soon. And this and the dad's just like, no, we're not fucking leaving. I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, the worst time to do that. <laughs> um. Anyway, so um, besides Mandalorian, I didn't really watch anything. Uh, or play anything. I don't have a new Madden story for you. <laughs> Sorry. Only saw two hours of television all week. Kind of. <laughs> no, like, I applaud the balls of you to say kind of, but you know you did. Two hours of television. Oh, right. I think I know what you're talking about. Well, there's only been two episodes of The Mandalorian. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, I thought quiche was quiche. <laughs> We're going to become a food podcast now, aren't we? Maybe. I mean, we'll did, do uh, like big night. Did um, Peter trademark Buttercast yet? Because if we're going food, I'd rather have that name instead of uh, what we got now. Well, no, I don't want to keep using butter. I want to cook with other things than butter. I mean, we can't just eat butter-based meals that are nothing but butter. You know, expand your horizons, man. All right. Um, we'll eat any food podcast, and then we eat anything, like octopus, and we'll fight it as it, we'll try to eat it as it like, falls out of our throats, and then we'll die. I'm in! <laughs> um... Okay. I found an octopus in the tree. I'm going to eat it right now. I, oh, I, oh, 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 man. You're like Jackie Chan in Rush Hour 2. I put it in a jar and it fought its way out of the jar. They can do that. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, they are the, maybe the smartest animal on Earth. Um, Most agile, for sure. Yeah. So, 
I guess. Okay, did you watch anything else? Like, what did you watch for the Buttercast? Like, plug the Buttercast, why don't you? <laughs> um, well, it's only because we were watching, a, like, a slew of movies. So, we watched, um, uh, what did we watch? Uh, we watched werewolf movies, and then we watched witch movies. And, let's see, out of the witch movies, uh, which ones did I like? Um, we watched the Blair Witch, which I think holds up if you watch it alone by yourself in a room. Uh, I think the we watched The Witch, which is very good. Um, we watched Practical Magic, which was insane, and I think you would enjoy it uh, on the bad wheel. Uh, it's very 90s, but I liked it. It was charming in a lot of ways. Uh, we watched The Craft, and then we watched The New Craft, which I don't think people should pay $20 for right now. I think you should wait till it's free. But I do think that if you... I think it's an okay movie. I think it actually loves the product of the original craft, but also it has some it has some problems. Uh, it's I sort of feel like it like it tried to be different. Like it it the, the the other girls that are with the main character are there's a black girl, there's a trans girl, there's a New York girl, um, like hardcore New York. I think she may have been Puerto Rican. I'm not sure, but. Uh, they are they are just not cis white people, and that's who the main character is. And then a lot of the movies through her, and it's supposed to be about all of them. They're all supposed to have story arcs, and it feels like it's going, hey, we put these things in, but also we didn't put the experiences that they could bring to the table and you know offer the story, and we just made it about the white girl. And I was like, ah, oh, kind of sucks. But then also like a lot is happening in it, which is why I think it would work better as a season of television. You would give that space to the other characters and be able to flesh out what happens in it, because it tries to do something different. I just don't think it has the space to do it. That is a like, that's a movie that has too much going on. Uh, we we'll, uh, we're gonna do noir next, so we're gonna watch Brick. So I'm gonna re-listen to our Brick episode and rewatch Brick, and then uh, uh, we watched a movie called The Hitchhiker from 1953. Um, as I was watching it, at the start, I was like, ooh, this looks like a pretty, you know, shadowy film noir. I'm digging it. Making some interesting choices. And then the second half, this, the second act was so boring. So boring and repetitive. And then the third act saved it. And I liked it. And it started, it, like, making points that I was making. And I was like, oh, thank God this movie's like, finally catching up with itself. And I realized that it had a lot to do with being cheap. Then I started looking to the director. It was like the first real major filmmaker uh, in the 1950s in the Screen Actors Guild who was a woman. Uh, and then I looked into her stories. Ida Lupino made some great films, did some great performances. And the more I look into her work right now, the more I'm enjoying it. The more I'm just like, she was, she was a heavy uh, femme fatale in a lot of film noirs. And then she started making a bunch of her own. She started handling a lot of... Uh, interesting subject matter like uh, <clears throat> uh, being pregnant and having it out of wedlock uh, rape in another one um, she did, she made a lot of movies that were the goal was to be as authentic as possible and to focus on the psyche of victims and what what that kind of does to the mental stability of a normal person and I really have been enjoying her approach to filmmaking now that I've started to understand what she was going for and the little amount of money she did with it and how fast she did with it and how just like pro she was just she she paved the way for not only a lot of female filmmakers but for a lot of like b-movie filmmakers just like go in shoot get out and like 
you know, taking advantage of as many opportunities as she had to, to tell the stories that she wanted behind the scenes and not be the actress that people wanted her to be and not and also not being capable of being the actress she wanted to be within the studio system. She just started her own company and started making her own movies. I was so interested in like looking her up. So yeah, if you're interested in old movies and want to see more movies by women filmmakers, Ida Lupino stuff, I'm really enjoying it. She's got a very John Cassavetes feel about her. Okay. Uh, that's nice. Give Peter my regards. Hi, Peter, if you're listening, which you're not. Um, oh, yeah, once I told him we were doing Spider-Man, he's like, ooh, we gotta, I, he wants to, he's interested in coming on. Get him on. We're not going to have Zach for another week or so. Get him on here, now. Oh, yeah, Zach thing. Zach was like, he was wondering since when he came back and it had been a while since he came back and we hadn't had a strong movie for a bit because I brought up the idea of Treasure Planet for both of you and that was kind of a celebration of him coming back. He was wondering if you would be interested in, in bypassing the wheel when he does come back, which would probably be after Spider-Man, to do V for Vendetta. I don't even I'll think it's it. on any of our It's not. It is very. The reason he did it is because it is very prescient for our time, but also, I mean, it is prescient at the time. But like we, the big news item of the fucking year happened, which I think sort of takes away a little bit of the sting of what that movie is. But I, it is, it is very of the time. I don't think we're gonna have a moment stronger than right now for um, what's going on. And I think he could make a better argument than I could, and we can't without spoiling the movie. But um, it's a Wachowski siblings movie and um, Wachowski sisters movie, and um, Hugo Weaving is the voice. Natalie Portman stars. Uh, it's a very British movie, uh, and it's very good. Very good. They didn't direct it; they wrote it. The Wachowskis. I will give it some thought. But I think it would be after the Spider-Man. I think that's yeah after Spider-Man. Uh, I probably I'll watch it and I'll give thoughts. But like right now, my initial thought is I would just let you two go at it with that movie because like you know because like I've made it known I don't really want to engage in politics unless it's absolutely necessary on the show so okay well okay first of all we gotta say it like biden's the new president trump's i mean yes people were fucking dancing in the streets dude in the middle of a pandemic dancing in the street the only way the only thing i can say about this is don't live your and it's on twitter but like don't live your life in a way that the moment you get fired the whole world dances in the streets like that's how I would say don't live your life. That would be my opinion about all that. But that's not what V for Vendetta really is. It's not a political movie. It's um, it's not about American politics. Do you know anything about V for Vendetta? I know it's like if the Wachowskis made a movie based on an idea by Rage Against the Machine. No. Uh, well, sort of. Yes. Um, <laughs> Rage Against the Machine is very Rage Against the Machine is very um, <laughs> <laughs> Rage Against the Machine is very 
Rage Against the no, Machine is very good. Sort of. Yes. <laughs> I would say yes. I would say yes to a certain extent that it is like rev- like revolutionary. Let's burn it all down to a certain extent and start over. But it's also very British. And like when you said that, I was like, Rage is fucking cool as shit. And they're like fucking hip hop, and like they got attitude. And it, the thing about V for Vendetta, it's very posh. It's very. It, he says he says words with the letter V in a lot. <laughs> it's very proper. Uh, it's a very British movie. It's based off a comic made uh, made by the guy that I think also did Three Hundred and Return and uh, Dark Knight Returns. Uh, and oh maybe, God, what's his name? Uh, Miller, uh, Miller, I believe, Mark Miller, something like that. No, no not Mark. Not he did. It, but uh, anyway, that very famous uh, comic book writer. It yes. is um, there was a man who was named Guy Fox, and in the old olden days of England, he tried to blow up Parliament, but he failed. Um, and Frank that, Miller. Uh, Frank what, Miller. Frank Miller. Thank you. Yeah, Frank Miller. Um, yeah, uh, um, he didn't do Watchmen, I don't think, but he uh, he, did. he did Batman. Frank Miller did Watchmen. Yep. No. Yup. No. Yes, he did. It says at, it's. A, I'm right here. Oh no, it's Alan Moore. Thank you. That was the Alan outlier. Moore. Okay, we we got Alan Moore and Frank Miller mixed up. A- a- wow. Alan Moore, Alan Moore performs witchcraft, whereas Frank Miller is a hardcore conservative these days. Gotcha. Uh, that's why I knew there was a difference. Um, but the, no, Frank Miller has made a lot of things. He made like 300 and a lot of things that people have been into. Um, uh, so it's it's. It's a movie about a future, a dystopian future, like the movie 1984, where uh, a virus has ra- laid waste to most of the world, and London is oh, a... Oh, come on. <laughs> London is a superpower, and it's become a um, controlled state, and it's gotten to its peak point where, like, not even, like, people on television, can, like, the government is controlling what people say on television, they're censoring it. Basically, Trump becomes a dictator kind of a thing. And um, or a Trump-like person in the sense that he becomes a dictator. But this person isn't like Trump. This was made years before. This was like 2005. This was the thing they did after the Matrix movies. Um, and then a guy named V, uh, who dresses in a costume with the mask that is now known for being the mask of Anonymous, but was originally a Guy Fox mask in England. So it wasn't just a U.S. thing or an Anonymous thing or just this movie. Thing. But he walks around in a Guy Fox mask and a cape, and he one day runs into Natalie Portman, who uh, is about to get raped by a couple guys in an alley. He rescues her and then kind of holds her hostage while he explains what he's going to do. And then she sort of goes through Stockholm Syndrome. And then we, as the audience with her, start to understand who V is and what he's fighting for and what his reason is, what the government's really doing, and what's behind all of this. And it becomes this big revolutionary thing that's connected to a personal event that V himself was there for. So it's not really about American politics. It's about what happens if, you know, an an evil business took over the country when you know something horrible happened like it, we got close to it with trump but also it was never going to happen we were going to kick trump out of office after eight four eight years anyway he was never going to stay there he was just a baby we all treat him that way now nobody gives him the respect now so it was never going to happen this movie predates the fact that what if it did what if hitler you know won sort of a thing but 
it's all that's all it is. It's like Hunger Games. Like it's no different. Okay. It's, you have here's, nothing to worry about. Here, no, here's the thing. Like the movie itself may not be political. I'm afraid Zach will make it that way. I think the the point Zach wants to make and the same point I would make, and this is why I don't think it makes that much sense now. Like we there's no point for us to argue about it now. If it was pre-election or if Trump won, absolutely we would be talking about it as a political thing. We'd be saying this is what he could do and what he could like be if he continues to this dictator, dictator route. But it would be 20 or 40 years down the line. This is a fictional movie with a fictional thing that happened. Like no, I don't think he's going to get that political. And if he does, he's going to say no different than I'm saying right now, which is fuck Trump. He's a terrible person. He was a terrible president. And I'm glad he's fucking gone. You don't have to say that shit. You will. Like any normal person would have fucking It's not about politics. And that's the point of the movie. It's not about politics. It's about we're beyond that point. It's not about that anymore. It's like the, they, they are literally controlling everything we say. They're killing people. They are the ones who are causing a lot of the problem that's happening right now. That's what they're saying with the movie. Like, it has nothing to do with politics. It's what if we're beyond that point and, you know, they're just doing whatever the fuck they want. Like, it's not even about paperwork. They just, if they want to come out and kill a talk show host, they're going to come out and kill a talk show host. Like, that's what they're going to do. It's, that's the kind of world that they live in. It's not really about politics and at the end of the day this is the kind of stuff that you need to watch chris because you need to understand when something is too far and when you can't talk about it and when it's just you know window dressing for you know basic you know standard morality and ethics which is yeah you know the governments and companies that create viruses and experiment on people and then you know, spread it around the world just so they can, you know, create a totalitarian government. Those are bad people. I think we can all agree on that, right? That's what the fucking movie's <laughs> yeah. about, man. Yeah. And you didn't know what it was about, and that's fine. And, like, if we were... Hey, you said... Before, I, you agree with me with my perfect synopsis. But here's the thing. I'm not asking you to watch The Candidate. Uh, uh, I'm, not wa- I'm not asking you to watch um, Bullworth. I'm not asking you to watch uh, Wag the Dog. Actual movies about politics... Um, I would love you to watch um, American President, a movie about politics that is really a romance where like politics is the background and you feel like you sort of like understand why the presidency is something that should be respected. But also it's about the president getting a girlfriend like that's the kind of shit I want to show you for fun. But like I there I would love for you to see Wag the Dog. That is something I think you would be interested in. It's Um, let me guess. They actually whack a dog. No, it's a it's a phrase which is um Okay, the, they whack off a dog. No, no, wag as in W A G. And I like I'm going to tell people you asked to see a movie about whacking off a dog. Uh <laughs> So they whack off a dog. Uh it's called Wag the Dog, which is that the the it's not the tail it's not the dog wagging the tail, it's the tail wagging the dog, which is to say so they when wag the off a dog. Okay. Uh, I, this reminds me of something I didn't mention in the last <laughs> podcast. We watched a movie called American Werewolf in Paris, it, and out of all these werewolf movies, it was the worst of the bunch. Nobody else watched it but me. It was a sequel to a classic werewolf movie. I forgot, I forgot to mention, and I had so many opportunities to mention it, that it is the only movie I've seen ever where a main character that we care about that is the hero of the movie fucks a dog to death. <laughs> 
I am so stupid. Like, why did I let myself carry that joke on? So that you could remind me that a main character in a movie I watched two weeks ago fucked a dog to death. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, wag, wag the dog is like after this happened before the Bill Clinton scandal happened, and there's so many similarities to it. It's eerie. People have talked about how eerie it is, but basically, it's about Dustin Hoffman, who's the president, has an affair, and to and to distract with the, the dog. No, to distract the nation. From the affair, he creates a fake war, and he hires Robert De Niro to come in and create a fake war in the media to hide the fact that he had this affair, and they take it too far, and then it becomes a comedy. It was made by the guy who made <laughs> and right again. Uh, and it's solid. It's a solid movie, dude. It's super good. It's prescient. And I was thinking of another one. Um, uh, Charlie Wilson's War would be a good one, too. Tom Hanks, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Julia Roberts, Aaron Sorkin. I will say, uh, I will there's say, good political movies out there. I have seen Man of the Year with Robin Williams. That is, I mean, okay. Uh, I mean, that is that. I mean, Trump became president. So movies like that, or that's that's the same thing as Chris Rock's Head of the State, which okay. is what if a comedian became president? But there's a there. Uh, this is one I would really suggest. That's really great. It's called Dave. It's um, it's about Kevin Klein is a normal dude. He looks exactly like the president. The president, who's a fucking carpag, gets sick. And he becomes it. And he, they call him in the double for the president. So this average Joe who just happens to look at the president comes in and he comes into a White House of people, including the wife of the president, who all hate him. They all hate him. They hate his guts. And he comes in and he starts acting differently and changing things and like he's a good person. And it's like a Frank Capra movie. It's amazing. So, dude, there's a lot of great movies that I think you would enjoy. But, yeah, Man of the Year, Head of the State, Comedian Becomes President movie. Those are fine. Like Chairman of the Board with Carrot Top. Yeah, they, those, are, those are fine, yeah. But, the, like, there are movies out there that I think capture the magic of what politics are and can be without getting too cynical or divisive about them. And V for Vendetta is not one of them. It's basically, like, totalitarian governments that, you know, kill the people and lie to them about it are fucked up right guys right that fucked up right guys <laughs> that's all it is don't worry about it in fact this is what i would suggest i would say instead of watching it for the show just watch it watch it and come back and tell and tell us what you think about it because i guarantee zach and i i've seen that movie so much that i could certainly talk to you about it right now and I think Zach could maybe watch it on his own and then come back with it. And then we can have our own section talking about it. I don't know if we need to make a whole episode about it now, especially if he's just in the mood for watching it. But I think you in general would actually genuinely like it, especially if you okay. want to see Natalie in a schoolgirl outfit. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, we know where the anime came from. That ex the, the, her, in a, her in a schoolgirl outfit explains, like, um, okay. Um, I but I think it's like a lolly outfit. More, it's more of a lolly thing. It's hot. But I also will warn you, it happens in a moment where she's supposed to seduce a priest, and the priest, like, well, she's not supposed to. She actually comes in and asks the priest for help, and the priest immediately tries to have sex with her. But he's also a terrible person for other reasons, too. All right, I will uh, give it some thought. He okay. He okay's chemical trials on bad. They're all bad people. They're all terrible people. 
she tries she asks for help from him and he tries to have sex with her so like she wants to get help from him she thinks he's a priest it's a great movie it's like what if the worst people are in charge and there's you know it gets to the point where everything is awful and like it takes a guy in a mask to come in and like murder a bunch of people to show how awful things are uh, <laughs> okay. uh, it's a movie. It's a movie about revolution against horrible governments. And the go- our, recently, our government was not awful. The administration was awful, and the man running it was awful. And you know, the Republican Party, the worst of them, are awful for a lot of reasons. But the gov- our government as a whole is not. We just created so many like loopholes and systematic backchecks that it's super easy to bypass when you understand the system. And play the game as long as they have. So we became we become the pawns of that. But Trump was just too much for a lot of people. So this movie reflected uh, that in a lot of ways. And then also Guy Fox Day that the movie's based off of is in November. It was November fifth. Uh, so it, it is also uh, recent. So dude, watch it. It's a good movie. Just watch it. Wachowski. Okay. Like Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving is the guy who he's not the guy who plays V. It was so, uh, somebody else. Was somebody um, famous that uh, got totally just didn't get credit for it, um, and they didn't want to use his voice. But Hugo Weaving is great as the voice. He's just ooh, he's he's the opposite of Mr. Anderson. He's smooth. He's charming. He's devilish. Oh, he's great. He does a lot with just his voice. It's amazing. It's, Hugo Weaving's the best. Like I said, give it some thought. Just yeah. watch it for fun. I just said just watch it for fun and come in and tell them what you think. And okay. Like, I'm just saying it's not political. It's not It's not recently political. It's just, you know, it's a fictional movie. You'll get it when you watch it. Um, Do you want to have anything to worry about? Anything else? Because I can't think of anything... I watched all of the Sopranos. Let me go episode for episode now. Um, okay. Gun him, Tony. He is my boss. <laughs> just everything that's awful. <laughs> I describe all the terrible things. They're all just like dirty Italians. Just like a, the worst review of the Sopranos ever. Uh, no, that's about it. That's about it. He brought up a good idea, and I think it's fun. I think you should at least watch it. And this is a good excuse to watch it and, and also get to spin the wheel, too. Mm. Because that's what we love doing. That's the whole point. Yeah. Um. All right. Are you ready? Let's just get into I'm it. Ready. I'm ready. Um. Sam Raimi's uh, Spider-Man 2002? Two. This movie is now legal, legally able, legally able to vote. Yeah. And smoke. And gamble. And, uh... Do all the dirty stuff. All the dirty stuff. Uh, legal to consent. Um, <laughs> so... It was legal by 16, but, you know. Alright. Um... Oh, states, stop my law. I know. I don't want to fuck this movie. I just want to have a few beers with it, but I can't. It's not 21. Um... So... Oh, right. Okay. Does going nuts um so this is our new series this will be the next two movies that we do spider-man 2 and spider-man 3 mm-hmm. so alex 
I know you guys really want to do Evil Dead, and I kind of was hoping to save this for Evil Dead, but the wheel said Spider-Man. Yeah? Alex, my friend, who is Sam Raimi? All right, well, yeah, it would have been nice to go Sam Raimi first with Evil Dead for a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about in terms of why he got this job, Spider-Man in the first place. But Sam Raimi, when he was 18... Uh, was already making short films with his friend Bruce Campbell and Tom. I forgot Tom's last name. Sorry. Uh, I'm just, we're going to learn about a lot about those three when Evil Dead happened. Um, they would go on to make Evil Dead. Uh, and they would, it would be a pretty good underground horror movie hit. They got the money to make Evil Dead 2, which is excellent, I think. But where Evil Dead was meant to be a horror movie in a lot of ways, Evil Dead 2 is like an action comedy horror movie. And then he went on to make another movie called Prime Wave, which did not do very well, but I personally really enjoy. It's just incredibly, it's like a 1930s live action cartoon. It's insane. It's insane. But I do see why people wouldn't have like gotten into it then. It's crazy. Um uh he would then go back and make uh Army of Darkness, the the third movie to the evil dead series but after that he would go on to make so many different interesting movies he made a western the quick of the dead with leonardo dicaprio and gene hackman um and uh i I don't i want to say gina davis but i don't think it's gina davis i forgot the star of that um sharon stone sharon stone uh and he would go on to make a simple plan which is kind of like the same thing as fargo it's a like a crime story that happens in the midwest in the middle of winter um, he made The Gift, which is like this huge ensemble piece. He made a movie with Alec Baldwin, which is based off, I think, a radio show and not a comic, but it was called Dark... Maybe it was a comic, but it was called Dark Man. And it didn't do well, but it was like his first real comic book movie and superhero movie for sure. But it was a lot like Batman. And when I was going through all this research, looking at all these like movies that he'd done, like For Love of the Game with Kevin Costner and like this baseball movie, he had made all these different genres. Even when you look at Evil Dead... Uh, the Evil Dead series in and of itself, they're three completely different movies. And he just, he was making movies that were like other movies that were popular. Like studios would come to him and say, hey, can you make a movie like this movie? And what he brought to the table was always weird and always interesting and never bad. Maybe it wouldn't make the money they wanted, but it certainly was never bad. And people still wanted to work with him. And I think when they were preparing Spider-Man, and their original plan to have James Cameron do it with Leonardo DiCaprio fell out. Uh, Sam Raimi stepped up to the plate and earned it because he loves Spider-Man. Sam Raimi loves Spider-Man. He loves the comics. He understands them. He understands his character. It is his baby. This world is all him. And um, it's as earnest as possible. I think... This is one of the most earnest comic-to-film adaptations that have ever existed up there with Superman. I think Batman is great. I think it gets a lot of the comic aesthetic and stuff right, but I don't think it's the like a strong comic book movie. I think it's a strong Tim Burton movie. Um, whereas Superman, I think, gets the comic aspect right. I think this really is meant where every shot is meant to look like a panel. But he understands the character so well. He understands this world really well, how dynamic the camera needs to be, how realistic it has to be in a lot of ways. Um, But he also never had a big budget action movie before. So 
he was just, I just think the right guy for the job. They just looked at his work and was like, you've done all these different things. You're a very kinetic filmmaker. You've worked all these different genres and you love the character. Uh, let's see what you can do. And everyone involved was like, this is something new and this is something different. And like, I think before then we had only really had, had Steel, Blade, uh, Spawn, and X-Men. X- X- X-Men, X-Men was two years before this. Yeah, but X-Men is a TV show. X-Men is a TV show pilot. It looks like a TV show pilot. This looks like a comic book on film. Like, uh, it, it's, it's so much more interesting and kinetic. He takes so much more time with shots. It's going to get way more interesting looking with the camera in the second movie when he's got way more money and he, they give him all the like time to do whatever he wants because this was a massive hit. This broke records uh, across the board. And as much as I like the X-Men characters, and I think a lot of them are perfectly cast like Hugh Jackman uh, and Magneto and, and uh, Professor X, this was the new Batman Superman. This, like, I, I'm looking, I tried to look at this as, like, uh, clinically and analytically as possible as I could, uh, but it is nostalgic for me. This came out when I was 14, 13, like, 14, 15, something like that, and I did care a lot about these movies. They did mean a lot to me then, and they mean a lot to me now, but, and especially doing research afterwards and watching and reading a lot of stuff, there's a varied amount of people who feel different things about this stuff i would say the the most passionate and also most complete and interesting argument that i've heard for this film and all three films in the series is high top films on youtube he's probably made the most interesting and strong positive arguments there's some the arguments that i feel about this that are against it are usually surface level tone stuff um there are a few story moments and story things that like don't make sense that you kind of have to forgive for the movie to make sense. And then there's a lot of silliness. Um, And if you can't get past that silliness, you're never going to get to the character stuff, which I think is the richest and most important aspect of this film uh, and why it's lasted so long more, more than anything else. So Raimi just basically was the best fit for this in general. And since then, as I've learned, uh, he's been mostly a producer, it, but he's so specific about his shots. He was given so many opportunities to make stuff in the 90s. Since then, he has not made a lot of movies. He made, um, after the Spider-Man movies, he made one horror movie called Drag Me to Hell, which is very good. And um, the Land of Oz or something like that, the, the Wizard of Oz. So it, was, it was with James Franco again. It was CGI heavy. There's some things about it that were interesting and things about it that I don't think worked. And he hasn't made, I don't think he's made another movie since then, but he's produced a lot of stuff. He's a great idea, man. But I think it's because he's so specific with his camera shots. He's so specific about how he wants to use that camera when he's got the time to do it. Um, But he is set to make the new Doctor Strange, which is interesting because Tobey Maguire is also set to come back for Spider-Man 3. So it's crazy to think that he will to some extent still be connected to it but the fact that and we'll get to it but the fact that he never got to make a spider-man 4 the more i get into this is sad 
because he cared a lot about these movies and he cared a lot about that character. And the fact that he never got to make a fourth one sucks. I hope, I hope that he is somehow involved in Spider-Man 3 to a certain extent about how that is. But that, that's, Sam's Raimi's, that's Sam Raimi's role and how he got this. And he is basically Spider-Man. These movies are his. Um, as I said last time, I am coming into this having not seen this movie start to finish in years. Like, maybe more than 10. And now, now that I've seen it, this movie's fingerprints, I'm talking this movie specifically, this movie's fingerprints are all over the comic book movies that are to follow. I now see it. The fingerprints are on even, like, The Dark Knight. Like, Nolan's movies. Like, this movie's fingerprints are on, are, like, all over. Well, I believe the same guy who wrote those movies wrote this one. As well as Blade. Wait, David has... Wait, are you... Wait, wait, what? Wait, I'm getting... I may be getting them confused. There's David S. Goyer and there's David Coep. David Coep wrote Blade and the and these movies, but he also would go on to make the Batman v Superman movies and write other superhero movies. So I'm not sure if Goyer is the one who wrote with Nolan. Then that's where I'm confused. Goyer Goyer was the one who wrote with Nolan. Okay, but this guy's written written a lot of superhero movies, some good, some bad. Um, so you have seen this writing in a lot of things, like Blade and a bunch of stuff. I'm talking like, um, I was talking more like, like the dark, because like I was, because like, one thing I was not expecting was the whole duality of Peter Parker. Like, when I watched them, like, the, um, Tom Holland ones in the MCU, like, that never really came across yeah and like the big argument that a lot of people have that it's that tom holland is not really spider-man he's not or at the very least he's not really peter parker and he's um so my thing is okay so like here's the thing with this movie in Inevitably, we're going to compare this to, like, Tom Holland or, like, God forbid, freaking Andrew Garfield. Um, Andrew Garfield's not even – those movies don't even hold a candle to these. As they for don't. Holland, there, there are things to like about Holland, but what you're talking about is been in the comics ever since day one. It's the right. reason Sam Raimi likes, liked Spider-Man as a kid. And it is the duality. It's the fact that he was one of us before he became a superhero. And so and here's where here's yeah. where I learned that this is where I picked this up. So I was like um the opening of the movie I'm actually uh, taking a page out of your book, I'm actually watching the movie as we uh, on silent as we are going through. Is 
Where are you? Because I'm at the point where uh, William Defoe is he the first time. He just webbed his entire room. Um, <laughs> gross. So, like he you're did, saying yeah, he, right now, you little boy, you naughty boy. So, the opening of this movie is like it's a firm establishment of Peter Parker's life. Like he's just this nerdy. Geeky, like introvert, who is too shy to make a move on his crush. Mm-hmm. Also, he's being bullied because he's a geek, and we see that. Um, and his teacher, who doesn't look a day over his own over his age, yeah, um, age wise, the ages are terrible in this. Which actually was kind of my problem. I thought James Franco looked the youngest out of anybody here. The teacher looked the youngest that out of anyone. Uh, but here's the thing. I think it works at the end of the day when high school is only about a half, like a half, like 40, half of this movie is them in high school. And then we get three more movies of him as like a college student, 20 something. And it makes sense then. My thing is, I don't think Tom Holland's spider-man as much as i as much as i like that spider-man like i don't think he gets like you're gonna think this is crazy i don't if you know what i mean if if you follow me here i don't think he gets pushed around enough like yeah no yeah that's he doesn't take he doesn't take a lot of crap because there's not a lot of crap being flung at him besides Super villains. I'm talking like when he's Peter Parker. So I so here's my thing. I don't necessarily blame Tom Holland for that. I just don't no, think that's that's a, written choice. that's a written choice. That's a right. Yeah, that is definitely a writing choice. Um, and this movie, um, isn't exactly. This, here's the thing. Tom Holland's movie, you could argue, is made by committee. Even two. Um, yeah. This movie was is like. This is Tobey, first Tobey Maguire one. This is Sam Raimi. Pretty much yeah. all the way. Um, he, takes a lot of, he takes a lot of moments from the comics, but in terms of... Here, this, here's an interesting point that someone made. The, what this movie is in terms of stakes, it's about two people. Two people run into situations that happen to them. They go through changes. He gets bit by a spider. Norman Osborn takes his uh, performance-enhancing drugs. One makes him a villain. The other one makes the other a hero. And as you watch them go back and forth through their journeys, that's all the movie is. As one continues to go crazy and go evil, the other one knows this is happening and is forced to stop it because he has the ability to do so. That's all the movie is. There's no stakes. There's no hidden blood. There's no, there's no background thing. There's no nothing. It leaves plenty of room for actual character development, which everything you mentioned about Peter Parker, the fact that he's bullied, the fact that he's in love with this girl, the fact that his best friend is rich and that his father has problems with him, all of these dynamics, all of these things, even up to the fact that he's going to get bit by the spider happen in the first 10 fucking minutes of your movie. That's the kind of shit that people do forever on that's the shit they don't even do for peter parker in the mcu everything that you like about this peter parker like they skim over it all the things that made uh, tom okay. holland spider-man he does before we see him and then Tony Stark. 
and, and gives him tools and gives him things and, uh, and gives him all this stuff. And like, I agree that there's some aspects uh, in, in the second movie, but the whole point is he chooses not to be that at the end of that movie. And then at the middle of infinity war, brand new suit, you're an Avenger. And then he here's, gets the second one. Come on. Here's my, okay. Here's my theory, right? Here's my theory on that. Lost my train of thought. Okay. Um, so, okay. They, okay. 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 Here's my theory on that. I, I think they I, saw what was going on. I think they saw what, what, how people were feeling about watching Batman lose his parents for the upteenth time in the upteenth adaptation. And they were like, let's just, okay. We have had how many Spider-Mans now? Two. Um, and both of them had Uncle Ben die. How about we just skim over that so we avoid that problem? Now, well, now see that's fine. That is that that's what they said, and I do believe that that is some aspect to it. But guess who became his uncle Ben after that? Tony Stark. Yeah, it was Tony guess Stark. Yeah. Saw, guess who we saw him lose his uncle Ben anyway? And guess that all the things that led him up to that point were things that were given to him by Tony Stark. Yep. Like this is uh, you're gonna see. Him getting at, like, there's a theme about Peter Parker never being able to get what he wants. He will never get what he wants as long as he's Spider Man. He'll never get the girl, never keep his job, he'll never get the pizzas delivered on time. That is honed in in the second movie and hammered down to the point that he quits being Spider Man. That's what Spider Man 2 is. In this movie, the difference between him. And uh, Norman Osborn is when Norman Osborn loses everything, he goes insane and he kills everyone and he hates the fact that like everyone wants it because that's that's what's happening to him. A govern a general and the and the other board members all got together and set up a coup to get him kicked out of his own company and sell it. Nobody likes Norman Osborn, and the moment he finds out, he freaks out and kills people. Uh, Spider Man goes through the same thing. He tries to help people, and yet yep. there's all this news about how people hate him, and that, to the point that uh, Green Goblin comes up, like uh, kidnaps him, puts him on a roof, and says, join me. They're all going to hate you anyway. They give, he gives him the Joker speech. He's like, they're all going to hate you anyway. And then he goes out, and he reads more of the newspaper, and what does he still do? The right fucking thing. He still continues to do the right thing, because that's Peter Parker. No matter how many times he gets hit in the face with the backpack, no matter how many times he can't deliver his pizza or get fired from his job, no matter how many times he chooses not to be with Mary Jane, he still continues to be Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. Peter Parker is the shit. That's why this movie is as good as it is, because he was always – that's why he was always the best superhero in terms of Marvel for the longest time. Like, this cheesiness to it. And, like – I get it now. It took me forever, but I get it now. Do I think that the other Spider-Men offer things that this one doesn't? Like, I think I think Andrew Garfield is the best quipper out of all of the Spider-Men. He's the funniest. He gets it the best. I think he has it down. This this guy, it's not that he doesn't quip Tobey Maguire. It's that when he does, it's not good. Uh, and Tom Holland is quippy, and he's fun and everything, but Tom Holland has the fact that he's young. He's a kid, and Spider-Man is supposed to be a high school kid. He was like, they just aged him up so that he could be in college in these movies. But he's always supposed to have been a high school kid. That's why the Spider-Man animated one is perfect because he is a kid. It's 
not an actor playing a kid. It's a kid because it's an uh, animation. Like, the, these, these two movies, the first and the second one, and Spider-Verse are the best Spider-Man. They are the best because they understand Peter Parker and Spider-Man in general. Because, like, the Spider-Verse understands that anybody could be Spider-Man because Spider-Man is anybody. Spider-Man was a normal, everyday New York kid who got bit by a spider and decided to do the right thing. It's the same thing with Miles. He's just a kid. He likes Spider-Man. He gets the power. He decides to do the right thing. That's who Spider-Man is. So, also, here's another thing. As I'm about to watch, like, Uncle Ben get got, um, it brings me to, it does bring up an important point. Like, the way they set up Uncle Ben, they, Sam Raimi doesn't waste time. And he went the most effective route. He could have had a great relationship with Uncle Ben. The fact that he didn't, right up until he dies, is the most effective way, is probably the most effective way of handling that. You don't think the most effective way of conveying that. You don't think he had a great relationship with his uncle? Okay, when we see him on screen, he's like, he kind of just like dismisses him. He's just like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. And then when he's in the car, like, he's like, you're not my dad. Stop trying to pretend like you are. Like, he's going through a lot of crap. And he's just like, like, towards the end of Uncle Ben's life, he kind of was like um, dismissive of him. And like was trying to deal with it on his own and deals with his own crap. Here's the thing I would say to that: uh, High Top Films puts it perfectly. They say, uh, they, in terms of what I think you're seeing and what I think it shows up in other actions that he goes through, too, is that he has a chip on his shoulder, and it probably has to do with the fact that he doesn't have his real parents. He is a geek, and he can't get the things that he wants. And uh, I do think that that is there. However, the times we see with his uncle are only two times. It's the time where he gets bit by the spider. He goes home and he's not feeling sick. He literally walks in, goes upstairs, and collapses on the floor of his room. The next day, he sees him in the morning and he's like, I feel great. And then he goes and he's like, "Uh, you have to paint the house with me. And he's like, hey, don't start without me. And they're joking and it's fun. But then he misses it because he's Spider-Man all day. And then he comes home and they're already asleep. And then he has the MJ talk in the backyard. Then the next time he sees him, he's going to get... $3,000 to go get a card. He's thinking about MJ and his powers. He's in a rush. He has to go to this thing. And yeah, his like uncle's being this thing, but it's also because like he understands, I think deep down that he's not really using, he's right. I think he, he, like his uncle doesn't know that he's talking about powers, but I think like deep down, Peter knows that he's doing something selfishly that like, he could be doing something good with it, and maybe not. But also, he's like, I've got this thing. I can't tell you about it. I want to get this girl. Like, that's what my focus is. He's a teenage kid. I think that scene would work a lot better if it wasn't being acted by a 24-year-old guy. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> if Tom Holland did that, it would work a lot more, in my opinion. But um, I think he has a great relationship with his uncle, and I, uh, they do show those moments in the Andrew Garfield one better, but I just don't think we okay. have a window of time 
Okay. But, like, mm. I do think he has a chip on his shoulder for him to say that because it tells me that his uncle, that he's like this, it tells me that this is the time in his life where he is getting pissy and he is getting a pissy teenager. Like, it doesn't say what age he is. They just say he graduates sometime after Uncle Ben's death. And it was probably my guess within a few years or a month because Aunt May is pretty cool with it. Uh, <laughs> I would say he's probably maybe um, the beginning of his senior year or the end of junior or something like that. I would say it happened within the same year, so probably senior year. And that, you know, 18, you, you want to get away from home. You, you're, you, your parents are grandparents. You know, you don't have any friends. The girl you like is hanging out with Flash. You, you know, you just, you just beat up your bully and everyone is giving you shit for it. Like, he's got a chip on his shoulder. I, I get it. I get it. I, you're not, I don't think you're not seeing, I don't think you're blind. I, th- I, I think you're seeing something there. But I don't think it's that they had a bad relationship. I just think he was like, you know, why are you lecturing me about this? Like, I just want to make some that's, money to get her. I think that's what I'm saying. It's like the last time they speak to each other, it's that, it's that, it's that moment in the car. And it's, ten, and it's like, it's tense. Because he has that chip on his shoulder. And he, like, and he, like, in the, like, the last time he sees his, un- his uncle is, like, the, like, he didn't, like, um... He like, oh, gosh, he I am bad with words. Happen. Well, he had the thing happen that everyone doesn't want to happen with their loved ones, which is right. you say the worst thing, and then the next thing you know, they're dead. Like, everyone hates that. But that's what makes it, it happens so often, because that's the point of family. Family are the people that you can say the worst things to when you are in the, when you are your most angry and most pissed off, because you, they will forgive you, and because you know you're going to forgive them. He knew deep down that at some point they were going to apologize for that. And he was just too, you know, single-headed to think about it in that moment. He wasn't thinking about the fact that he missed the painting. He wasn't thinking about that. I think about my brother and my sister and the things that I've just not just totally spaced on with my parents and then just gotten angry and defensive of when they called me on it. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I do. But he thought that he'd be able to have the chance to apologize. And he didn't. And not only that, but he let the guy go that killed his own uncle in the first place because of the chip on his shoulder. Well, he kicked him out of a building. No, well, no, he 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 let the guy die. He let he let the guy die. He oh, just, he pulled up Batman. This is so Batman Begins. <laughs> I don't have to save you. Yeah. Um. He did not. Well, I think he was shocked. I think he was shocked when he fell out the window. But honestly, he could have webbed him. Could have webbed him. He had a spidey sense. He had spidey sense, man. He knew he was falling to his death. He knew. He let that guy die. Um, but that, so, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think he has a chip on his shoulder for sure at that point. But the fact that that's the last, like, it could have been, like, them actually, like, painting the house and just having a nice conversation. But the fact that the last time they see each other is that tense situation makes Uncle Ben's death much more um, effective. That's what I'm trying to say. No, I agree. That's, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. No, I, yeah. That's why every, that's why his choice to be, that's why he becomes Spider-Man. That's why he becomes Spider-Man. That entire just, like, I don't know if that's from the comics or not, 
but that is certainly the best adaptation of Uncle Ben. They've tried it a couple. They they tried it with my, with Martin Sheen, and he did the same thing there, but um, almost just, word for word. <laughs> it's so it's so perfect. It's so perfect. He doesn't see it. We don't get to see their relationship enough. We know it's just like a bad day. Like, you know, Peter's going through some stuff and the uncle doesn't see it. And the uncle says it too. Like, he's, he's like, I'm, he's feeling all these things. Every time I have a fight with my dad and he approaches something to me, it's almost always something that's happened days ago that he's been sitting on for a long, long time. And like, I don't know. I have no idea he's been running these arguments and, and decisions and conversations in his head over something that I just wasn't privy to. And so when Uncle Ben looks at uh, Aunt Mays, like, I, I want to talk to him, but, like, I don't know if it's my problem or his. Like, I don't know if I can't reach him or what's going on. Like, I, I got to talk to him. Like, he just wants to talk to him, but the way he approaches it is not wrong. Um, but he doesn't know. He's trying to talk about the fight, and Peter's trying to, like, talk about something else. And it's just, it, it, but someone has brought up an interesting point, which is that Uncle Ben is like, you have this power and you don't have to fight this guy, even though he's trying to fight you. And yet, that's once he dies, Peter just goes around and kicks people's asses all over the city. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's the best Uncle Ben. He's the best Uncle Ben, best Uncle Ben scene. And that line is from the comics and has rung true and is the point of Peter Parker and always has been. So, man, okay. Also, I, I, I also do want to say, I, you, me you mentioned it like how some people don't like, can't see past its camp. I love its camp. I love I how comic book this movie is. Like, he does a double backflip just to dodge like one of Flash's cronies. From behind, like he does a double backflip, and it's like nobody's like, "What the heck?" He just did a standing double backflip. Oh, if somebody does say, "How does he? How does he do that?" That's actually why I love. But that that's scene. like in passing. I know that's why I love it. People are all like freaked out. The people are like, "That was fucked up, dude," and they all leave. That's why I love it. It's like that was insane, but it is very comic booky in how it happens. Like, the, like the whole the whole uh, tray thing. When he Nobody catches knows. MJ when she slips, and that took him like fifty takes to do. Um, this is like, what, this is one of the things where I like I watch that moment and I'm like Peter Parker is kind of a little bit of a dick. He's the one who keeps missing the bus. Like she slipped because there was a carton of OJ that had spilled on the floor right next to him that he didn't do anything about. There's like a giant <laughs> spill on the floor next to you, asshole. Would you like wave to the custodian or something like? Do something. People are going to slip and fall, man. Perhaps he's so, like... Perhaps he's, like, so, like, self-loathing and depressed that he's just, like... It's just, he just accepts, like, that stuff as, like, his, his reality. And he's just, like, like... Like, that's every day. Like, there's a spill. Like, like he, there's just a spill in the cafeteria because he goes to a... Probably a cheap New York public school. And... Blame me for it anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So, I will say, some of the CG doesn't hold up. True. Some. 
True. Like body doubles. Like yeah. some of that doesn't hold up. Otherwise, yeah. like you could like also like if you go back and you can't like see Pat like this was just after no, not just after. It was like three years after the Matrix. So also they did kind of do like some mate like in the burning building when he's dodging the like yeah. those blade things. Like that's definitely a Matrix um yeah. inspired shot. Um sure. <clears throat> but I also um I would say uh the 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 end fight with them. I, I okay, so I think the the burning I think the burning house fight is fun. I really like it, um, and I think that moment looks pretty cool. Um, I think the first fight with them out in the middle of Times Square is dumb. I don't think it's edited well. It's very choppy. It's all over the place. Okay, I, I appreciate a lot of its practical effects, but like it doesn't look great. And like the 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 bomb that turns people into skeletons, but not MJ and. Um, James Franco is reared to it never comes back again. But I think the end fight in the uh, dilapidated building is so good. And I also think that it is the closest we get to Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness type stuff. And I was like, ooh, this is totally up that alley. It's just like the relentless, the relentless brow beating that he gives Peter after he slams him into the building in the first place just unstoppable like before he can even turn around properly he's got a kick to the face it's all like the, the things that i loved about evil dead so that last fight is really great and the and the fighting gets so much better the action scenes get so much better as the movies go on here's my thing this is a gripe that i've had with most this is a gripe that i've had with um spider-man movies or spider-man in general why can't he just learn freaking kung fu? Like, why, like, why he... can't he learn kung fu? No, why I know he... he doesn't need to. He doesn't totally need to. But I would just, it's just like something in my. It's just such a nitpick. It's like, can we see Spider Man kick a little more ass? He did well. It's like, <laughs> like if he learned Krav Maga, I'd be like, let's go. I mean, he kicked the ass of the guys who were attacking MJ. That is actually true. Uh, he kicked their ass hard. True. Uh. <laughs> no, he's an ass kicker. Here's the thing about Spider-Man. He's agile as hell. Like, it's like Spider-Man, the Spider-Man that you're talking about is the PS4 Spider-Man. True. True. Even though I would have liked to have seen a little more. <laughs> I don't know. It's just something weird about me. Of like, I think, John, like, no. I think Winter Soldier spoiled me. Because, like, ever since I've seen, like, how, like, Captain America, like, is a like beats the crap out of people. He's, like, he's a brawler. Like, he's just, like, this. Or, like, um, um, no, no, no. Yeah. But, like, um, how Captain America kicks people's butt. I'm spoiled now. Because, like. But oh Captain America doesn't. Captain America isn't a Spider-Man. He's like right. He's got a body that's filled with muscle. He's like a soldier. Whereas like Spider-Man, when you play the game and you can like watch these movies, he's having fun. That's the point. Like he's he's 
crawling on people. He's bouncing off walls. He's spraying. He's doing bungee with the court. Like every time he attacks a guy or beats somebody up, it's it's agile. It's dancer in a way. It's like a ballerina because he's having a ball. He's having a great time. Um, he doesn't need to. He doesn't want to know karate. He doesn't want to stand there and do that stuff. He can jump all over the room. He can crawl on your shoulders if he wants to. Like he doesn't need to do that shit. Um. So spirit of Spider-Man is just like, like all like sleep about it. I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? You can walk <laughs> on wall. Like stop so, dancing around. Okay, that's just the weird thing that I've always had. Like, yeah. Anyway. Um, we need to talk about the second greatest casting in the history of cinema. Uh, uh, so you're talking about William Defoe because I'm assuming you mean the first one is J. Jonah Jameson. No, I'm talking the second one is J. Jonah Jameson. The best casting in the history of cinema is Heath Ledger's Joker. Uh, J. Jonah James, J.K. Simmons. Is so great. <laughs> so you're talking about all cinema. Okay, so yeah, I think there I think I could make other arguments. I am being irrational, okay? I'm telling you straight up. I'm being straight up irrational. J.K. Simmons is the second greatest casting in the history of cinema. That it's just so great. I'm sorry. J- I Jonah Jameson. Well, what about first of all, Chris Evans is Captain America himself. What about Hugh Jackson? Doesn't matter. I'm being I told you. I'm being completely uh, irrational. I'm in love with this guy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Most people agree that like J. Jonah Jameson by J.K. Simmons is like comic book to real life. He is the embodiment of that. He is the embodiment of that. Just like I think uh, Ryan Reynolds is like an embodiment of Deadpool in a lot of ways. Um, but as for, you know, Joker, uh, I don't think that's... I think... I don't know. There are better... There, there, there's so many interesting movies I could talk about without actually ruining them. Hannibal Lecter so, was... Like, I'm sorry, but, like, Mikey Andy, Newman from Film yeah. Joy and Movies with Mikey has spoiled me to the idea that he Lecter might be the greatest performance in the history of cinema. Like, I love he, movies. I, I do, but, like, dude, um, God, like, uh, uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Um, fucking uh, Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. Uh, God, there are so many good ones. Like, cinema's been around for a hundred years, bro. Anyway, J. Jonah Jameson is great. Okay. Yes. Minimum screen time, maximum effectiveness. It made him a star. It made him a star. He'd been around awesome. for a bit, but like this small performance made him a huge star. Awesome. Awesome. It's great. It. Fantastic. And it's so great, they brought him back. Yes. For the MCU. Yes. He's in the MCU and Which the is MCU. the right call. It's the absolute yeah. right call. Yeah, because it's nobody fun. else. There's no one else. Except uh, I, it also explains what they're going to do later, which is bring the bring Maguire in. Also, here's another thing. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. Yeah. I also hear he's kind of I, I, I hear he's kind of a jerk in real life. A little bit, and then I also hear that. Well, this has been well talked about. Toby Maguire is a massive, massive asshole. I, yeah, I didn't know if you were going to get into that with this because we had already gotten into it before. Well, here's the thing: I learned some stuff apparently on the Pete Holmes podcast uh, uh, show. Actually, Joe Magna- Joe Magnella, who uh, played Flash, Flash Thompson, Flash Thompson uh, 
uh, and later go on to like True Blood and and you know Deathstroke and Justice League. Right. Uh, he talked about how a crew member walked up to him and was offered to pay him money to actually get a punch in on Tobey Maguire because they fucking hated him so much. And he was like, I can't do it. I would ruin my career and put the movie on hold and, and everything. But, like, they hated him. That's... <laughs> That's... Uh, wow. I just think he's super rich from poker and this, and so he doesn't have to work if he doesn't need to. But also, I, I just don't think he has a good... Uh, I don't think he has a good... Um, reputation in Hollywood as somebody who people want to work with. Um, I think he just works whenever he wants to, and people will do it because it's Tobey Maguire. But, yeah. So, um, what else is there to talk about? Like, okay, Willem Dafoe. Let's talk about Willem Dafoe. <laughs> in terms of performances, yeah, William Dafoe is amazing. I think he's perfect casting. I think he's giving it his all. The performances in the mirror are fucking crazy. The Here's voice, the thing. The thing that relates him is the suit. The suit doesn't look great. It covers his face. Okay. Here's the thing. Always, okay, so that's what I was thinking, like, during the intro scenes, where they were, like, developing... They're developing, like, super soldier serum. Like, and they're developing all this technology for the army. These designs are so absurd. I can't imagine, even in this universe, like, the average soldier wearing that crap. I was uh, like, why are you looking at the... These designs are terrible. Well, the thing, in in the mean, context of mili- in the U.S. military, like, I, you can't fathom... I, I can't fathom, like, for, even, for, like, special ops people wearing these. First of all, I see nothing wrong with the glider suit except for the mask. It's literally no different than the kind of thing that like Falcon wears in the MCU. It's just green. And why would you make something green? <laughs> it looks ominous. Um, and <laughs> as for the uh, suit that the government was going to go for, that thing looked like a just piece of shit. That thing was. It awful. looked like it looked like um, it looked like Alien Two. But designed for combat. It it yeah, it did not look good. And why they would pick that over this one tells me just how much they really hated Norman Osborn. But um I do I don't think there's anything wrong with the suit or the glider. I do think there's something wrong with the mask. Like why would you make a soldier wear that mask? Why would you even make that mask? Also, for the first time I noticed that you could see his mouth through the helmet. And he's actually speaking lines. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that sometimes. Here's like, my thing. Like, okay, now I'm at the Macy's Day Parade. Um, just so you know. Uh, I'm at the choose your girlfriend or choose the kid. In the, in the, wow, uh, you're really far ahead. I um, started when the started. So, my... Uh, okay, so like, wasn't his la- wasn't Willem Dafoe's like last role like Speed Two before this movie? If I remember I, correctly, I would have to look it up. Um, he wasn't working as consistently then as he is now. 
But that was the last, like, big villain studio role that he had done. Yeah. Um, but gosh, yeah, he, he knocks it out of the park. Um, he's a, Basically, he's he's a great, play. he is a great actor. Um, oh uh, God, he's I, been in everything. Um, the, at the time he said this was the first movie like this that he had ever done. And he's done a bunch since like Aquaman and all that. But, uh, I think he's great in this. He's fully committed. I wish we could see more of his face. And that's wait, like a- wait. I'm going by two. Oh, there it is. Okay, so Green Goblin. No, he was okay. I'm looking- oh, well, okay. it had been seven. It would have been like five, seven years since Speed Two. So he had obviously worked. I thought Speed Two was 2000. It's 1997. No, God, no, no, not 2000. No. I thought it was. T- it looks literally. I saw like one of like the last few scenes from Speed Two Cruise Control. It looks like. To, it looks like like 1999 2000s like camp. No, dude. Um, it's just before that, but it's no, it's a late 90s movie. It's consider it's definitely a late 90s movie. Oh, okay. That watch it, like Jason Patrick. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. Okay. So he was in. So after this, he was in Affliction, Lulu on the Bridge, New Rose Hotel, Existenza. Um, the Boondock Saints. Um, Americans... the next bi- the next biggest thing that he would be in. That okay. was the next notable notable thing. Animal Factory, Shadow of the Vampire, Bullfighter, Globe Hunters. Amazing. Uh, Pavilion of Women, Edges of the Lord. Then he did Spider Man. Shadow so... of the Vampire or Spider Man. Yeah, he did Shadow of the Va- Va- Shadow of the Vampire was two thousand. Wow, he's great in that. He's fucking creepy. He's creepy as shit. So anyway, um, uh, James Franco is terrible. <clears throat> you think so? I think he's not good. I think his characters. I think he has moments where. He is playing oh, straight. Oh, That's, it's the nuke grenade. <laughs> the nuke grenade. Oh my gosh. Where he just a, like turns. He just. <laughs> that's yeah, got it. That's terrible. Like that's no. Okay. That's why. That's why I like. That's why I like this universe. I think that goes. It's too like far. that grenade in real life would have wiped the balcony. Would have wiped every organic being yeah. on the balcony. Because, well, like, would... you're talking about a grenade that can vaporize people. <laughs> and they didn't want to support him. I don't get it. Like, you're talking about a grenade that can vaporize people at the same level that a nuclear bomb would. And it would only kill the people on that board. I'm telling you, everybody on that balcony would have been vaporized. If yeah, not his more. Son, his son and his girlfriend would be dead, too. Yeah. Like, he invented, he literally invented the world's smallest nuclear device. Yeah, and then he continues to have fist fights with Spider-Man like an idiot. Just fucking That's throw one freaking his- great. I'm sorry, I love that. I love that. I'm sorry, I absolutely love it. That that reminds me of, like, Iron Man 2, where he's like, you should use that all the time. He's like, eh, it's a one-off. <laughs> so... uh, it's, like, it's, like an, uh, it's like an Iron Man 3 when... 
uh, Killian breathes fire in front of War Machine and then never does it again. Right. Um. So now I'm watching the. Uh... That's it. Okay. So like. I think the scene where Franco, where he sees, where Franco has the last moment alive with his father, and his uh-huh. father apologizes. I think Franco's good in that scene. Everything else, I think he's try. This is around a, fra- a phase where he was trying to be James Dean, but he was really just stoned all the time. And I like him being stoned. I have no problem with that. He would get better. Like Pineapple Express and 127 Hours and Disaster Artist are all great performances. Even. Even um, Spring Breakers is an amazing performance. And I don't like – James Franco's getting canceled these days for good reason. But, like, uh, those performances are good. He would go on to do his own weird thing a lot better. But this is him trying to be Dean, and it's not working. He even would play Dean in a movie, and I just never thought never thought he worked. He was better on – like he had been on Freaks and Geeks, too, so he's done good stuff. But I just don't think he works here. I don't think he makes the dialogue work. I didn't really notice anything bad about his performance, personally. Like, I felt like he was always, like, like, his screen time wasn't, like, he didn't pop when he was on screen. But, like, I didn't feel like he was terrible. I didn't know. think, I didn't think there, there was a difference between him feeling uh, resentment or envy for his, between the relationship with him and and relationship between parker and his father uh i between when he was just hanging out with peter between when he was hitting on mary jane like he was an attractive guy sure but i don't think that there was much range between what he was also i think the character is written well i think like he's not a villain but there's certainly seeds of villainous villainous uh uh, decisions in him i will say trying to be an asshole i will say i just okay so the the whole time, the whole parade scene just ended. I like how, I like how Peter just as Spider Man, he just like took Mary Jane like a few blocks away and then just jumped on some random freaking rooftop. People say that, but I wonder, I wonder if maybe that's like close to where she lives or something. I don't know. He does just leave her there. There are obvious signs. I think that he's trying. She should to- pick up that this is Peter Parker. Well, I... Uh, if that's the case. If that's the case. He, I think he took her as far away from danger as possible. I think that's why he took her blocks away, so that, like, she, she is as far away as any fight from the goblin as possible. I think that's the point, to get her away from these situation as far as possible. But um, Mary Jane and him. Mary Jane has her own fucking problems. Mary Jane has, like, abusive parents. Uh, she is hiding it and hanging out with like people that are just that don't really respect her or like her. And the she's only she's like per- Michaela from Transformers. Ye- well, yeah, she's like any yeah. It's a, a role that was pretty much defined in the eighties with John Hugh movies. But uh, she, she, I think her arc is really good. She has these different choices in terms of like yes, it is a romantic thing, but. She does have other decisions, too. She wants to be an actress. She wants to get away from her family. She wants to date somebody who cares about her and sees her for who she is. And it's literally not Spider-Man. It's not Flash, and it's not the other one. Flash just, you know, is a bully and tries to use his strength and power. Um, James Franco only wants to use his money. And uh, Spider-Man just... 
isn't doesn't know her either. He's just a girl that he saves every now and then. That's not a real thing. But Peter has supported her and respected her and been nice in terms of every every instance they've ever had together. The first real conversation they ever have is in that backyard. Holy I think crap. he always knew that he liked her. I think everyone always knew, and it was just always this thing. And she gives him ample opportunities to just tell her. Just tell her. She flirts with him, like, out in the middle of the street, just, like, is flirting with him. And he can't, he just doesn't get it. He just still can't do it. And she's like, I'll see you later, Tiger. And she says Tiger for the first time. And it's like, she's waiting for it, waiting for him to do something. So it's not that she doesn't see that Peter likes her, um, because she does. And you would think that since that's the case, hearing Spider-Man's voice, smelling him, uh, that should have been a dead giveaway. <laughs> all of these things, but like she hasn't had that many convert. She hasn't had that many instances with him. The closest time I think they've ever really spent together is the Thanksgiving dinner, and even then, uh, his roommate was hiding the fact that they were dating. She worked in a place that was really far away from where he lived, and the last time they had a real true conversation was in the backyard of her house, because then Uncle Ben died. Like he probably didn't care about Mary Jane for a while. Um, so you don't really have that many instances together until he <laughs> found out that until he found out that he was dating his roommate, and then they just started spending more time together, and then the kiss happens, and she's like, "Oh shit!" And then the whole point of the second movie, her whole role for like a huge chunk of the second movie, is like, "I'm gonna fucking kiss you, Peter. Fucking kiss me, just kiss me, damn it!" Like I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. Peter, fucking kiss me right now. I need to figure something out. I fucking love you. Okay, so um, first off, I just came out of the mirror scene with well, with with uh with uh Norman Osborn. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> like man, he just yeah. ah so good. He's um, so good. and then the immediate scene after is with J. Jonah Jameson and Peter Parker, where they're going through more photos, and he's like, he calls in his assistant, and assistant. Through the phone, he just and then his sister comes to the door. He's like, he just looks at his phone and hangs up. And yeah, then I, they're talking with Peter Parker, and then he throws his cigar out the window, and then like, and then he throws it back. And I'm like, did a random guy just throw that cigar? Like, I didn't think about it at the time that he was several, was several stories off the ground. I was like, did somebody just throw his cigar? Like back into his window from the from the street and i totally would have accepted that too because that's so on par with everything that happens when he's on screen and like and the green goblin shows and i'm like god <laughs> that's oh my god oh man i'm starting to love this movie <laughs> it, ha it has it has one of my favorite lines by janet but that scene has one of my favorite lines by uh jameson in there he's like He's like, Spider-Man's a menace. And Peter's like, it's slander. And he's like, no, 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 no. Slander is if I speak it. He's like, I take offense to that. Spider's if, uh, slander is if I speak it. Libel is if I put it in press. It's one of my favorite moments because he's like also being educational to Peter. He's like, by the way, this is how that goes. Just so you know for the future. So it's very, it's, it's very meant. I love how J. Jonah Jameson, it feels like he's a mentor to certain people, even though like he's not. And it may last for like 10 minutes. But that's totally how he feels with Peter. Like there's totally this part of him that's like giving him advice about what to do with the business because like he's a narcissist, but also he doesn't give up Peter when the goblin 
asks him who it is. He's like, I'm not giving up my source. Fuck you. Uh, okay, so I did promise an update about my thoughts on the suit. I love the suit. <laughs> I'm starting to love the suit. Okay. Peter Parker suit? Yeah, yeah the, I'm ta- like this suit. Like, I like this suit. Hell yeah, dude. This suit's amazing. You had doubts about the suit? Remember last episode? I was like, I like Tom Holland. I like the Tom Holland suit. Like, I think, like, I honestly think that's, like, my favorite Spider-Man suit. And now I'm starting to, I'm starting to, I'm starting to love this one. I like, I need to go back. To, I think this one is the one that all throughout all three movies. I don't think they change it until the black one comes along. That's it. Like, yeah, this is, the, I think that's why people also love it so much is it stayed the same for three movies mostly. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, going back to the, to Mary Jane and him, I know some people don't think they have chemistry, but I, I, that's actually where I think the heart of the films are, all three of them. And that's one of the things I think they, kind of shit the bed in the in the third one is their romance is really important i think he gives that up and the giving of that up even though she looks at him and says i love you it's so important because she goes through a genuine growth of humanity um to come to that point and he goes through a genuine growth of humanity to realize that he shouldn't you know be with her and then comes the second movie <laughs> well the second movie he decides to quit Spider-Man to be with her. He he doesn't want to be both, but he ends up it, things go poorly anyway. But I also and then we think, get that great hot dog scene. Uh, I'm sorry, dog. I love how he eats that hot dog just like in such like a douche manner. It's just it's just so great. I'm sorry. It's the fact that he lets crime happen next to him too. Yeah, the second one I think handles the moment of him being making the wrong choice better than it does in the third one but he makes it so that he could be with her i'm still i'm st- I still i'm still looking forward to emo peter parker i am I'm not. still looking forward to that <laughs> God, I'm so, not, I'm, that movie's gonna be a grind because it's two and a half hours of nonsense but like i think i i do think there there is not here's the thing that i remembered as i was watching this the there's a moment where William Defoe is found by James Franco in his office on the floor and he picks him up and then um the and then the butler goes, I tried to stop her and a person a woman comes in and she's like, Someone stole your suit and glider and killed one of your employees. And I was like, You're the worst butler ever. And then I remembered you have you seen the third one in a long time? No, I have not seen it in a while. Okay. I'm not gonna ruin this moment, but there's a fucking moment with the butler that reminds me a hell of a lot of a Dark Knight Rises. That okay, is, maybe I do. Maybe I do remember this. It's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, Spider-Man Three just doesn't give a shit about some of these things. Some of these things it just did not give a shit. But it's also there's so much going on that I feel like Sam Raimi was like, this isn't my movie anymore, and I'm just gonna do whatever they tell me to do. And I think, yeah, dude, the ending of all of this is really sad, especially when the second one is so good. It's so good. That's the okay, problem. Now I'm watching the alley fight. Okay, yeah, he's kicking ass. Okay, I like it. Yeah, dude. The, the, he does the same move twice. That's great. I think when it comes to these movies, the second one, I think this movie doesn't have all the best action, but I think by the third movie, the best thing about it is the action. And they kind of shits the bet on all the character stuff, which is what's awful. The studio got its hands on it eventually. Um, 
I'd say something about Danny Elfman's score. Hmm. It's super, like, I, uh, I think that there have been, I think it was, I, I don't I remember who said it, but somebody said, maybe it was Sunday Films, um, Mr. Sunday Mr. Movies. Mr. Sunday Movies? Who was like, uh, the credits at the beginning are too, too long, and I do think they're too long. But that score and the violins would um, be the defining element to his music in all the other films, all the other Spider-Man films. And it's also Danny Elfman, and I think the ushering in of his music is important because we needed that familiarity of horns that came from Batman to come to this. I think he knew this, this was special, and it needed that kind of familiarity to it. And it does have it, and I don't think that all of it sounds the same. But there's a lot of ahs and stuff like that, and um, around. Um, so I do think he's just trying to be like, "Hey, remember the Batman score and all those superhero movies? I'm back, y'all." Because I don't think he did the, <laughs> or I don't think he did the Schumacher Batman's. I think his theme was in there, but he didn't do the scores to him. Um. Yeah, I didn't really like. Maybe it'll be more like. Um, I think the things that are iconic about the score uh, are the Spider-Man like elements. Like yeah, the, it's like the little like and all those things. You know, like I didn't really stuff. like. But there isn't like a major like sweeping theme. Yeah, because like I didn't really feel it with this score, and I feel like I'm gonna get more out of it come the second movie. Honestly, I don't, I don't remember. I don't think so. I think it's just the, the, there's a difference between Elfman and Williams. Williams goes for those like, uh, uh, he 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 can make hooks really well and make themes out of hooks. Elfman's more of a mood man. Like you can't, I can't explain the themes of uh, like I couldn't really remember like mention most of the themes of his Tim Burton movies outside of, um. I believe it's Beetlejuice, where it's like la 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 la. But that's it. Outside of that, I can't. All of his other pieces are sort of like you know the odds and the up and downs. Like you you know the the tones and the feel of it, but he doesn't have any like major themes that you could recognize. No bum 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 bum. You know, no Indiana Jones stuff. He's he's not. He's more like he's more intricate and subtle. I feel. But that's that, that Spider-Man's subtlety has leaked into every single Spider-Man theme since. Right. Um, <clears throat> dang. I'm trying to think, think of there's... The, the most famous Danny Elfman theme that I can come to mind... Uh, not Fifty Shades of Grey. Done? No, Batman. Dude, I will say this, though. He put out a new song called Happy, and I watched the video just for whatever, and I was like, you know, Danny Uppen's a creepy-looking dude. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm to be honest, dude. It was creepy. I've always, dude, look at Danny Uffman in the Oingo Boingo 80s days and tell me he's not coked out of his mind and freaky-looking. He's I saw, I've seen some behind-the-scenes from Justice League. He's... Okay, I see where you're coming from, but, like... Okay, here's the thing. The video for Happy, one of the creepiest 
fucked up looking things I've seen in a long time. My jaw dropped a couple times. I was like, this stuff is it's new computer animation. It's the it's it's interesting looking. You know, you'll probably I'll probably end up seeing it in other stuff because it's pretty interesting to look at. But it also is a creepy fucking thing to look at. Happy by Danny Elfman. You want to be freaked out, man? That video is nuts. A lot of face stuff. Ugh, weird. It's an okay song. It reminds me of um, Gonna Have a Good Day Today by um, David Lynch. If, uh, but th- that song's more positive. This song's not. This is a not a happy song about being happy despite how horrible everything is. Anyway. Um, creepy looking. Danny Elfman's a creepy, creepy, creepy dude sometimes. Jack Skellington, man. Okay. Before we grade, I gotta talk about the cage fight. Oh, yeah, I was wondering um, when we were going to get to. I mean, Bonesaw's been ready. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so obviously Bonesaw is played by Macho Man Randy Savage, God rest his soul. Um, and, like, it's got to be the craziest thing for some... <laughs> I gotta remember this is like a comic book movie, but like I couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake the feeling of just like how, <clears throat> of how um, this is like a New York, like underground, like aesthetic wrestling promotion that's offering three thousand dollars to any to anyone who could take on, um. Who is essentially Macho Man Randy Savage. And. Oh my god, that's terrible looking blood. I'm sorry. We just got to the point where, like, Peter Parker's sneaking back into the um, apartment for dinner with uh, the Osbournes and Mary Jane and Aunt May. And so, and the so drop of blood hit the floor. I love your version of watching it while we're doing this. It turns into a DVD commentary. Right. It's like we gotta do this more often. Um. So when Surfer when Surfer hits streaming of any kind, that's exactly how we're gonna handle that. Ooh, absolutely. Um, speaking of Surfer, I'll check before we end this episode. But um, so like, so my, so like, so like, and then they get down there, and he's like. And he gets one hundred dollars. That's exactly how that would go. That yeah. Like the gimmick is three thousand dollars. Like that's the gimmick. But like he's. <laughs> um. But then he goes down there and they give him one hundred dollars. I'm like, that's kind of how it would go, wouldn't it? Even though that's yeah, but you shouldn't yeah. be advertising that in the first place because that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Well, dude, like, there are so many, like, I do think it's funny to, like, sign this so you don't sue us, but then it's like, yeah, we're not going to pay you the money we advertise. But that, but he also found a loophole. It was for three minutes. He didn't last three minutes. Um, but. That feels like a cop-out, though. Like, you exceeded, you exceeded expectations. Therefore, like. But that's why they put it in the ad, man. That's why it's libel. That's why they can't sue. If you put that in the ad, that's the safety net. They tricked you that way. That he should not have signed that waiver. 
No, he shouldn't have. But then he also knew that he wasn't going to lose because he was Spiderman. I'm sorry, the human spider at that point. Also, I will say the guy who took the uh, that finishing blow to Bonesaw took a nasty bump when he just landed just straight on the top of his head. Like, ugh. Okay. Like, sheesh. I know it yeah. was a stunt double, but like, wow. <laughs> yeah, right on this was 2002. No, he was out of wrestling at this point. Like, he was done. Um, like, yeah, then he would pass away nine years later. So, rip. Um, how'd, you, how'd you like the announcer? Bruce Campbell. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was pretty good. He's like, I like how... <laughs> okay, this rem- actually reminds me of how... Of uh, Solo... And how Han Solo gets his name. Mm. And he's just like... Where he goes up to the guy and he's just like, My name's just Han. I mean, it's just Han. And the guy's like, Solo. That kind of, kind of reminded me of that. Where it was just like... But this was better. Because like... Tobin... Because like the, the, the way they set it up is... His... Um... The human spider... Yeah, is a terrible name, even for this universe. <laughs> oh, absolutely, it's awful. So Bruce Campbell on the fly, being like being an announcer who's supposed to add like spice to this to the proceedings as a host, is like I'm gonna ad lib and just call you the call you Spider Man. And Peter's like, he called me the wrong name. He's like, no, like he's like, just go out there. He's like, no, he called me the wrong name. Like, get the frick out there. Yeah. And then he takes it. He ta- he just gives in. He's like, it's a better yeah. name. Also, that cage is very unsafe. <laughs> the whole fucking thing is unsafe. Bonesaw wants to murder. Bonesaw was way too interested in killing people and hurting yes. people. That's not. He was, he was about to. He was about to butcher Peter Parker with the crowbar. So, dude, it's an underground wrestling ring found in the back pages of a porno mag. It was a porno mag. We all know it. And it's where he's it getting was, those cards. It, the, yeah, it was I, a it was a newspaper, and um, porno I don't know where you I got will, that information from. I will say this: Prince does a lot for like Peter Parker. Every time he needs something, he just opens up the paper and he gets it. Even his uncle's like, "I need a job," and he opens up the paper. Or Peter wants a car, there's a paper. He wants to go to wrestling, there's a paper. Everything, man. He wants to be yeah. a photographer. He looks at the paper. Like this movie <laughs> is about like like don't go to the internet. Internet's bad. The internet, just, the internet, the internet's just like about to explode. So the internet wasn't even a thing yet. It's like a massive thing. Not a like, massive. It wasn't what it wasn't what it is today. That's what I'm trying God, to say. God no. It would have been um, like kick-ass, and he would have been like someone would have taken a video. Though I do think the first person we see get got by Bonesaw or Macho Man Randy Savage was, I think, Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, guy who's like my leg. No, the guy, no, the first guy with the tattoos that we, when we, and when we first go into, I wasn't um, paying that much. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, you, wrestling, you were looking to see who the wrestlers were. I was like, yes, I, I was. I, I, uh, Even though Bam Bam uh, passed away shortly I was after wait- this movie. I, God damn it, dude, wrestling. I was just waiting for him to say bone saws ready. Yeah. Um, so hilarious Peter Parker husband joke. 
So here's here's my question to you. Anything else you, you want think, to talk about with this? Okay. Do you think it's fucking stupid that he doesn't say jack shit about the dad when he leaves him there? Like, just go. Like, I know he's getting a gun, but you have your spider sense. Just when you jump out the window, be like, the goblin killed your father. Bye. He has two. Oh yeah, of- yeah. So why doesn't he take him to the hospital? <laughs> oh, he's dead. He's dead. He was dead. Also, I wouldn't want to get impaled in the crotch either. That looks painful. Yeah, dude, straight in the dick. Straight in the dick. Man. I was looking at that, I'm like, oh, man, that's... And then they closed up, and it's actually lower than the than the first shot they yeah. showed of him getting impaled. Like, oh, my God. You're like, oh, he got hit in the, the lower gut. You know, he got hit in the lift notes. Nope, straight dick. Straight <laughs> up in that dick. Two blade marks to the dick and then he's like spider-man you killed my dad by stabbing him twice around the dick okay so like man even if he doesn't say anything like it's so obvious that the glider killed him it's so obvious that the glider that he created and has been quote-unquote stolen by somebody running around killing all the people that happen to be in the way of norman osborne and then norman osborne is killed with a glider to the dick like yeah, it, it tracks with everyone else dying, but, like, obviously whoever's been the Green Goblin killed your dad, dude. Okay. Obviously. The guy who's been killing and destroying people in your entire company. Scientists stealing his shit, the board members. Of course he went after your dad. Why are you blaming it on Spider-Man? Dude, he's so dumb. He is. But, yeah, um, why didn't Parker just be like, the, the Goblin killed your dad? Bye. Um... Is it because he's like, don't tell Harry? I'm pretty sure he meant, don't tell Harry, I'm the goblin. I don't even... Here's my thing. It's just like, I know he's dead, but why do you bring him back home? Like, why not just like, like... Oh, man. So... Because he can't leave him in the suit. He asked him not to tell Harry. He doesn't want Harry to know he was the goblin. So he took him out of the suit and he took him away from the crime scene. And either he, yeah, he brings him to the hospital. Like, ah, dang it. That makes sense. Okay. I didn't think about that. Dead. But he brought him home because he's like, you know, let him, let, I don't think he wanted the world to know that he had died by getting a glider to the dick. I think he just wanted the family to know. I don't know think anybody would want to know. Yeah. I think he just wanted them to take care of it because it's Norman Osborne and he was a famous dude. But like James Franco, it's so obvious that your dad was murdered by that. And then as I was watching that, I'm like, you're just going to leave a dead body on that couch? Like, it's got to be oozing shit and blood and pus. It's a nice lounge, man. Just don't care. Right on Craigslist. Just don't care about your things. Um, yeah, I was like, because I was thinking, it was just like, here's my thing. I feel, okay, if, I, if it was me, like if I was in Peter Parker's shoes, I would be like, Leave it out. If he, like, okay, okay, fine, go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking, like, as you were saying that, I was thinking, didn't he leave a note for some woman when her purse got stolen? Just leave a note for Harry, you know? You goblin put True. XXOO, you're done. And here's my thing it's just like, he is clearly psychotic, he's clearly, like, out of his mind. 
He yeah. tried to kill your he tried to kill your aunt. He tried to kill your girlfriend. Your 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 prospective girlfriend. <laughs> Why did I say it like that? Your your childhood friend. It's an in. By that um, point, it was like I because Harry says it when he walks back. My guess is that they talked about it. It's like my guess is that him and MJ talked about it, and she told him. Um, here's my thing. If it was me, and he wanted me to not tell Harry, I would have told him, you shouldn't have told me then. If you didn't want it to be a secret, if you wanted it to be a secret, you shouldn't have told me. So, like... What do you What do you say? So, like... So, um... Like... I just, I like, something about that, like, I think we're... I th- I swear, if this leads to another, like, clueless meltdown, I'm going to be so mad. Like, I like something about that irks me the wrong way, where it's just like, why wouldn't you tell your dad, who was working on experimental PEDs, why wouldn't you tell him that your dad went insane with it and got himself killed because he was trying to go too far? Even though your dad's like, don't tell Harry. Um... <laughs> the thing as i was thinking i know you about, love and respect harry but for god's sake the, the, the i think it's a couple of things a harry loves his dad and has been trying to get the respect and from his father all his life his father the first words after graduation is like i didn't think you were gonna do this dude but you know whatever i'm here congratulations it's like you're the fucking worst father ever he completely shits on his kid all the time the kid is aching for until his the father's last, blood. Until the last scene they have together before he dies. I see. Last scene, and then his dad dies. Like, James Prickle's like, he didn't have the time to make up all the shit he did. So, like, he wants his father's love. Hard fucking core, um, for, in my opinion. And then um, I, I just feel like... I, I The thing about the whole ending for just... I know it's sequel stuff. And and all that stuff, but like, I I he does eventually come across all of the Green Goblin stuff, so he has to come across that at some point. I've never I've never reckoned with that. He eventually comes across it and becomes it himself, finds all the stuff, and then he never has that moment where he's like, "Wait, so my dad was the Goblin, which means he attacks me and my girlfriend and tried to kill me with a nuke bomb and just murdered a bunch of people." Like. Like, my dad was a terrible person when he was the Goblin. You know, maybe Spider-Man... nuclear grenade. Yeah, so maybe Spider-Man should have killed my father. You know, maybe he should have. But don't... If you're the best friend, like, I wouldn't want to tell you if your dad did that stuff. And it's not because it's truly evil, but he didn't hurt anybody, really. Spider-Man stopped all the times he tried to be evil. And he wasn't going for some things... It was just him going too far. Like, Spider-Man didn't kill him. It was like the guy in the in the building. He just jumped out of the way of a glider, and then the glider killed him. So, and then he asked him to. <laughs> he asked him not to. So, it's your best friend's dad asking you to keep a secret. So, that, I just think he was trying to protect him from end the world knowing because him not being the goblin didn't set anything off. It didn't, you know, end the world. It's not like anybody needed to know who the goblin was. It's gone. He's dead. Just bring him home and tell him, but like, tell him that the goblin killed your father because it's true. The goblin killed his father. Father died because of the goblin. 
And that is not a lie. And you could have been just fine. But you didn't. And instead, you let Harry find it. And then Harry was okay with it anyway. So Harry's an evil person. Harry is an evil person. There's villainy in him throughout the movie. When, like, when, like, his father walks away and Mary Jane's like, your dad's a dick. And he's like, you don't know anything about him. Shut up. And I was like, damn, Harry. You're an ass. Um, that being said, uh, grade? A. Same. A. I'll go with A. A, man. Um, I'm going, I was going to go with A, I was going to go with A minus, but like, I think. Maybe, maybe a little bit of an A minus because some of the stuff is a little too goofy. I do think that initial balloon fight in Times Square is choppy and weird. I do think that there's some back and forth stuff that doesn't need to happen. I'll give it an A minus. And a lot of this is because I know how fucking good two is. I know how good that movie is. Everything steps up in that movie. The character stuff, the thematics, but especially the action. The action is even so much better. Um, it's in a different um, aspect ratio. Um, yeah, I'm only going to say A minus because I know that movie is a lot better. And that's probably going to be an A plus. Spoiler, it's going to be an A plus on that second one probably for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I'm, yeah, this, some of the CG didn't age very well. It's a relic of its time, but like it still holds up like in all the other aspects of it. Um, good CG for its time, and it's also not as much as people think. A lot right. of practicality to it. They really did swing cameras through New York, and they just put him in. Like Roger Ebert was like, "It's just an animated guy swinging around, and it just looks like a cartoon." And it's like, yeah, but they also took cameras and swung them around New York, and like, you are going with him. You are not like as much as he is a cartoon. You also have to give the fact that the camera doesn't try to take notice away from. It doesn't try to take focus from Spider-Man. It isn't like, look at what the camera can do. Um, it's very much, I just want you to come along with him as he swings around. You have to give him credit for that, to be able to pinpoint that, to perfect that on film. Like, Fuck you, Roger Ebert. I will say one more thing. Like, there's one more, like, nitpicky little thing. Like, I'm at the bridge scene, and, like, I'm just wondering to myself, they just announced that, like the barge, like the barge is gonna come under and then catch catch them. Why doesn't Goblin just blow up the barge? <laughs> he could blow up the barge, absolutely. I don't know why he doesn't. Why, why <laughs> he was he having too much fun up? punching Spider-Man, I guess. Yeah, I feel like the point was not necessarily to kill kids or kill her. The point was to put him in a situation in which. He could kill him because he could. He was too busy. If Spider-Man is distracted by trying to save her and the kids, or at the very least, if he's trying to hold the weight of that thing and try and do something about it, it gives him the opportunity to pull the blades out of the glider and fly towards him, which is stopped by the New Yorkers throwing things at him, which, as the video that I saw pointed out, is impossible because he glue, he flew underneath the bridge to get to him where he's hanging, so no one would have been able to throw something at his head from that angle. It's impossible. That is true. <laughs> I literally yeah. just watched it happen. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, man. That's fucked up. But that's also like there was no cliff in Jurassic Park. <laughs> I, don't care. I don't care. Yeah, I'm going to go A-2. 
<laughs> it's there, but that also I'm and they the it makes sense because they shot the original trailer for this movie had a helicopter full of criminals getting caught in a web between the World Trade Centers. They changed it and switched it up and put this, you know, fuck yeah, New York scene in there because uh the twin towers okay. gone. So before we actually close out, here's an interesting here's an interesting thing that I do want to actually like go into a little bit. And that's Mary Jane. I think Spider-Man PS4 is the best Mary Jane. Yeah, they don't really, they don't take, for three movies, Mary Jane does not step away from the screaming a lot, being put in dangerous situations bit. But she does have agency in the first two movies here. She is someone who is trying to find herself the way Peter and everyone else is in the film, but she makes a decision to put a person in her life and go for the person in her life and tell that person in her life that she loves her, that she wants. And it is for the right reasons of because she grew as a character. Like it is basically someone, it is a girl going for love after getting kidnapped and held hostage a lot. That's what's important to her, but still there is agency and growth to her character. Um, Gwen Stacy is in the other ones. Um, Mary Jane is barely is she's not in Spider Verse. Um, Andrew, let's see, she's barely in Spider Verse. Only in the scenes where they're recalling like old Spider Man, old fat Spider Man. Uh, and they say that there's an MJ in the MCU, but it could also not be MJ. We don't know. It's yet. not. It's not. They uh, said it's not. They they call her MJ though. They do, the but like. It's that weird thing where they're like, it's not Mary Jane, but we're calling her MJ. It was like... <laughs> what is to bring a redhead in at some point, then, like, whatever. If it's to kill her off Gwen Stacy style, fine. Um, I don't think they should. I think that would be too much for this multiverse one they're going to do. Um, but I do like that MJ. I think that MJ's cool. But I do think, yeah, her agency... Only she's in the outskirts of the first movie, but she's also her only agency in the second movie is like I have this one guy who likes me, and then this guy that I like, I need to figure out how to tell him I like him. And then at the end, she's like totally on the same page with him because they're she knows he's Spider Man and they're dating. Um, and I like that. Oh. I like that's what I like. I want I like that. I like when Mary Jane knows about Peter Parker because that was in the comics for a long time too. They got married. That was the whole deal. That is why I love the second one. The second one makes it work so well. They end it perfectly, and then they shit all over it in the third one, and I hate it. I fucking hate it. That's my word. That's the thing I hate the most about the third one. I can take all the campiness. I can take Venom. I can take too many villains. The, they just ruined everything that made the relationship between them so great in the second one. She leaves a fucking man at the altar she backsters a dude for him like i just don't get it so there you are everybody um uh spider-man one i guess or just spider-man spider-man 2002 spider-man 2002 there's no other movie just called spider-man really true um so that's you know, you know how I know this is a good movie? It makes me want to watch more Spider-Man stuff. That's I, exactly what I felt. It's like, I immediately want to see, like, Spider-Man 2 after this now. 
I, I really want to watch Peter Parker stuff. I really want to watch Spider-Man 2, but I want to wait a little bit. I don't, I, I don't have time tonight, but so, I kind of want to wait a little bit. But I think I may watch the Spider-Verse again, because that is the closest I've gotten to caring about the main character as much. First of all, they have, like, three different Peter Parkers, and they have two different Peter Parkers in there that are amazing. Both of them are great. One is complicated and funny, and the other one's, like, the best Peter Parker ever. And you have Miles. Like, it's so good. It's so good because they yep. get it. They understand the character perfectly. And this, this is Spider-Man. This is, it is one of the best origin movies of all time. But it is Spider-Man. Like, oh, have, God, right there, man. They've ah. made two more origin movies for him since, and neither of them were just called Spider-Man. There can only be one, and it is this. This is the Batman. It's like everyone everyone knows Batman when you say Batman. They can never make just another Batman. We have the Batman coming, but we can never have a Batman again. Why didn't he just go higher with that? Like, I just watched him get impaled again. It's just like, it's like right down there. Like, man. I also, think those, yeah, that, yeah, that, um... That, that that bed and that blanket he's wrapped in, they're ruined. Like ruined. You can't see it because it's a PG thirteen movie, but Jesus. He's just everything's coming out of everything. Um also that's just horrific. Like like if this was rated R, he'd just be like he just bring his he just brought Harry's father home, he's just covered in blood. <laughs> then his, there's like holes near his crotch and like and he's dead, and he's, he's brought him straight home, just in that mess. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he immediately, dude, he immediately, that's why I can't believe he didn't say anything. That's why I can't believe he didn't just stay in the shadows and say something. He could easily avoid the gun. He could easily web up the gun in his hands. But because his face is free, like, all he has to do is say something, because the immediate next thing you know your best friend is going to do is remove the sheets and see his father mangled genitals. <laughs> The immediate next thing that's going to happen in that scene. Immediate. That's why at the way, that's why at the funeral he's like, I'm gonna kill somebody. Like, it's like <laughs> this is the first thing you see is my father's dead. Oh no, how did he die? His entire genital area has been mangled. Alright. It's like a Quentin Tarantino version of this movie. <laughs> yeah, mangled genitals a lot in Tarantino. Yeah, there's a lot. Ooh. Yeah, if Bengal genitals and Tarantino are like amputees to um, George Lucas. <laughs> um, all right, well, that's it for Spider-Man 2002. We'll be back next time with uh, Spider-Man 2 2004. There's certainly a constant threat of genital like mutilation in his films, for sure. <laughs> Next week, in the subway scene. Hell yes. Yes. Alfred Molina. Oh, I love Doc Ock. He's so... I feel so... I feel a little bit bad for Norman Osborn in this movie. Obviously, he was a crazy dude to begin with. He wanted a bunch of power. The suit he made looked villainous. This thing was always in him. But Doc Ock, 
I feel genuinely sorry for in a lot of ways. A lot of ways. They really make him sympathetic. But I did like in this movie how when after Norman Osborn has done the experiment, he's literally scared anytime he's alone. Anytime he's alone with that voice and by himself, he's legit like, I am scared and don't know what to do. And there's nobody that can help me. And I'm terrified. When that O happens before he dies, it's like, I do feel bad for him a little bit. But they really hammer home uh, the the conflicted character of Doc Ock really well. Um, we also get the J. Jonas, J. Jonah Jameson laughing, which I'm looking forward to hearing that again. Like, uh, <laughs> I like. I can't wait. I can't wait. I like, oh man, I like Javier line that he says at the wedding. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just love Spider-Man Two. Spider-Man Two is so good. It's so good. So. There you go, everyone. We will be back next time for Spider-Man 2. See you soon. That's the movie that we'll do, and whatever happens in the meantime. So, good night, everyone. (laughs) Spider-Man shoots webs out of his hands. Oops, his wrist. I forgot. It's pretty gross when he shoots a shot. Look out. It's (laughs) fucking Spider-Man. Fuck. <laughs> Do you okay? We talk about like a Tarantino version of this movie. Hashtag release the Tarantino cut. Okay, so you know what? I'm gonna leave it right there. I'm gonna talk about that off air. I'm sorry. Like you did it. Nailed it. Tarantino cut. There you go. Yeah, release the Tarantino.